where should we start? Should we start with Breslev? Should we start with Chabad? Should we start with, with some of the other traditions? Were we starting? We, I thought we already finished. <laughs> we talked about everything. <laughs> okay. We have a doctor in waiting. Doctor in waiting. Alexandra yeah. Mandelbaum. Yes. Kopev. From from Kiev? No, from originally from Moscow. From the former. From the revolution Moscow. Now it's becoming the former. Are you a, are you a revolutionary? I was born during, you know, the Perestroika. So I was born there and raised in Israel here. How old were you when you came across, if I can ask? Uh, I was three. Three years old? Yeah. Wow. But you spoke Russian at home? Yeah, sure. I, I still speak Russian with my parents, with all my family. Really? It's still it's still a primary language of yours? Yeah, you know, like all immigrants, it's like now it, it became mixed. It's a Hebrew-Russian. Hebruski. Hebruski, is Hebruski. that what they call it? This is Hebruski. And um, you're, you're quite an expert on Hasidot, particularly Hasidot Breslev, if I'm, if I'm correct. How did you get into studying Hasidot? Well, I think it connected to the fact that that I'm a woman. I think that when I studied like for the first degree and also for the second, I felt like I, I don't have enough. And I think that when I entered, when I started the second degree, I imagined that this is, will be, I called it my shtetl, my Bet Midrash, my imaginary place in which I can learn Kabbalah and Hasidism as much as I want. But somehow in the end of the process, I saw that besides of that, I also interested in the, on the research of the thing that I still have my point of view of an outsider. And this is like the beautiful, a beautiful point of view and important point of view. So I kind of, you know, I always laughed at myself to say, Nafalti la clipot. I fell into the, how do you go, husks. So you're saying you came, <laughs> <laughs> you came initially to academia to try and have a, a little private shtetl to study your, your exactly you as, a, as, a, as a woman, as a person who have to, you know, right. work and everything. So you can't just go and learn Torah, but right. you do a second degree, so it's okay. But in the end, in the end, something about the academic process and methodology won you over. Yeah, I think that somehow I didn't imagine it's, that it would happen, but I'm some kind of find, found, you know, I immigrated and I found like a new home. Which is not, not so cozy home. Home, it's not the right word for it. But I found some kind of method and some kind of point of view that I find that is, is the, the most free and accurate one. And did you grow up with being exposed to Hasidot and Jewish mysticism and, and these kinds of things? Well, <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. Mysticism at all. Mysticism in Soviet Union, it's like a whole theme, you know, because you don't have God. Like right. the basic term, the basic contract between the Soviet person, the country and the existence is that there is no God. So this is from my, one point of view, from... But from the, the other hand, I grew up in a family which didn't have, didn't feel comfortable in those, in this world of not having God. So my, my father converted to Judaism here in Israel and my mother also entered this, 
Jewish Orthodox life together with his conversion. So actually, I grew up in a very, you know, con- quite Orthodox environment. Um, I don't know if I had the Hasidism or mysticism. You know, I was exposed to Chabad and Breslov in the streets, as everybody in Israel, in graffiti, in all kinds of booklets that they, you know, spread all around. So I was exposed to, to this for some way. And actually, a funny story, if I may. Please, yeah. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know who is the audience here. No, we but... love funny stories. <laughs> I went on a date with somebody that I really liked when I was super young, not in an age to, to, I don't know, to be so serious about dates. But after 10 days, I was fully in love, fully, you know, fully beorot, um, you know. And then when he broke up with me, I wanted to have something from his world. And I remembered he had this book, Likutem Oharan, in his apartment, in his very chor, in his, like, you know, basement. So I went, after he broke up, I cried the streets of Jerusalem and entered very, you know, intuitively to a shop and bought this Likutem Oharan. And it kind of, I think it was so funny because I forgot him the day after. <laughs> But something else happened. So a lot of, I think that 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 um, uh, gaguim, you know, how do you say gaguim? Yearnings. Yearnings. Well, the such pining. a big way. <laughs> yeah, but something about this, like, was the opening gate for me to the book of Likutei Moran. So it was kind of uh, interesting. You might say in the academic world that you sublimated your <laughs> erotic attachment to your love. To a, lo- to a love from, of the book. From, from the ninth <laughs> It sounds like a... A good exchange. <laughs> it was, it, it was, yeah, it was the right exchange. I think it was the Can right. Can I get you a glass of water? Yeah. <laughs> so, you grew up in the former Soviet Union, or as it was, as it was falling apart. Yeah. Your father converted to Judaism. It was an atheistic country, um, an atheistic household. Um. Not quite, you know. I have this this super Soviet, not Soviet, uh, super Slavic grandmother who is like, you know, believes in all this ikonas or Jesus or everything. So I have this also. Oh, fascinating. <laughs> so it's a combination. It's a combination. Your, your father's family, they were Orthodox? No, nobody was Orthodox. You know, but, but maybe like three generations. Right. The whole story of the Jewish, you know, this Russian-Soviet um Judaism is so interesting because you, when you go back three generations, you find a lot of Yiddish and a lot of, you know, it's actually like exactly like those people who went to the States and maybe stayed in Europe. But the thing is that when they moved to the, like, the communities that were inside Russia, when the communists came, so it wasn't like possible even, like, it, to stay religious right. and to be orthodox or to keep things because you know they took like the basic things of Judaism you can't teach Hebrew you can't write books you can't uh, sell books you know the Bible the Siddur or like basic things you can't go to synagogue you can't do all those things that keep you Jew- Jewish and from the other hand you have this great historical opportunity to become a normal person one of the society and for Jewish people this was a lot. This was like, I don't know, the energy was like the Messiah came, you know, when you, when you become communist, when you the just... The Red Messiah. 
Hmm? The Red Messiah. <laughs> yeah, when you you give up, you just have to give up your name. You just have to give up a few of, of your you know things, and you will become a normal person. And I think that as I read more about like the 20th century, I understand that it was so important for them to feel like there could be the world. Like they really believed in communism in the beginning. And after they believed and they changed, and I think then the communist regime has closed like upon them. And the father actually of my grandmother, David Ginsburg, he was sitting in Gulag. He was sent to the Gulag for eight years. And then he passed away not a year or something like this after he came back from the Gulag. So, and he was a very proud communist man. He was, he, he married a Russian woman. He didn't care from his, you know, Ginsburg Jewish name. But in the end, they caught him also and they put him in the, in the Gulag. So, and despite the fact my family was not this side of my father's family, wasn't Jewish by the halachic world, it was very much, uh, it had a lot of, like, connection to Judaism because of the suffer of this grandfather. Mm. So it's so complicated when you talk about Russian Soviet Judaism. Right. It's not a binary question whether they have God or don't right. have God. Right. And in general, God is like a very personal thing yes. to ask about. Yes. It's not like in Israel. That everybody has a God, has an opinion, has a... But your family immigrated to Israel. Yeah. And um, you, you shared a story through through a boyfriend that you had briefly okay <laughs> you don't have put everything don't have to put everything <laughs> that you before the glass of water i was a bit confused so. you got turned yeah. on to hasidut um hasidism a specific um, brassel hasidism caught me i think it was like the specific the brassel theme that i found like fascinating i just want to say that the fact that I, I came to Rastav Hasidism from a book, from a shop that I bought the book, okay, put the, the <laughs> was aside, I think it shows the way this Hasidut is like open to all kinds of people because you don't have a tzaddik that you have to go, you don't have a specific rabbi that you have to follow. So in a way, the dead rabbi is kind of, you know, allowing more people to connect with. Rabbi Nachman, yeah. It's a, actually a startup. It's a startup. It's a startup before the Lubavitcher. D it's don't want to fight start today, but it's you a startup know. today or to start up back then? It was a startup back then. It was very strange. It was in, in a generation when, you know, the, the Hasidic movement is manifested in itself. People, you know, had their courts and people have, you know, started to arrive to the rabbi a few times a year or maybe even live next to him and give him money or, or kind of ktavit kashut, a lot of connection between um, people and a specific rabbi. It was like in a generation when it was already Hasidic movement. Right. And then when he passed away without leaving any, anybody else, so it was like, it was a big gap. They felt orphans. This is how Rabinatan is writing. They felt really, really orphans. They didn't understand what's going on. The followers of Rabbi Nachman, the, the, followers. the founder of the Brestle movement. Can you give us some historical dates just so we can um, understand when it is and, and where it is that we're talking well, about? He was born in uh, 1772, I think. You should check it. <laughs> in 1772, but he passed away in, the, in uh, 1810. 
So he passed away really young. He was ill, quite ill two years before. And when he moved to Uman, which is the place that, you know, you recognize the most with Rabbi Nachman, maybe, Breslau and Uman, but Uman, is, because he's buried there, um, he already knew that he's going to die. It wasn't his wife and his son has passed, passed away a few years before, so he, he knew what's going to happen. So it's quite interesting, the fact that he didn't leave somebody after him. Right. In this gap, you can see... In the diary of his, uh, his uh, big student, Rabbi Nathan, you can see that in his diary, Rabbi Nathan is writing, he says, when he was about to die, he went in the apartment and he saw Rabbi, Na Rabbi Nachman is lying. And he said, in the way he looked upon me, I understand, I understand that I have a permission to guide the world, to be a leader. Mm. So this is very interesting because we see that Rabbi Nachman didn't say anything. Right. And his student has to like kind of half imagine that he has a permission to guide the world. Or maybe he did have, I don't know. what That he was. received just in that glance. Yeah, yeah. This is what like. Very interesting. Yeah. This is a theme which we, which we discussed briefly yesterday. We had lunch yeah. together. We, th we thought that we would speak about this. Is about the role of the Rebbe in, in the Hasidic yeah. world. Uh, the question of succession, mm -hmm. the question of uh, of leadership in general, the question of um, how much faith does the Hasidic world, past and present, have uh, in individuals to, to self-lead. Um, so maybe we'll start, because we're going to do this kind of half academically, half historically, half existentially, half spiritually, a bit between many worlds here. Can you tell us, maybe just for the listener, what is a Rebbe in Chastism. Well, the Rebbe is a person that is not a not a, a lachic person. It's not a person that you go in order to have answers to some kind of lachic questions. Jewish, so this is Jewish law. The Jewish law. Yeah, yeah it's a Rebbe is a person, a Rebbe, or I will say I will prefer the name the, the tzaddik. Right, the tzaddik is a person that. In his existence in the world is symbolizing the fact that God exists in the world, in the lower world, in a much more deeper level than we thought. Meaning not only when we pray or when people do some kind of, you know, religious, perform religious acts, but also in the everyday life. And the meaning of this is that the rabbi actually cares from the also the person, the person, you know, the woman, the person who suffers, the the people who need help in his community. Well, it's much more complicated because it goes further. Okay, the rabbi is not only a, you know social expanded social worker; he's also a spiritual man, and he has also power. And throughout the Hasidic movement, rabbis had a lot of power and also financial f uh, power. The Hasidic Kurds, meaning people who lived around rabbis, they gave them they gave the rabbis some kind of uh, some some amount of money, and the rabbis, in some point of view, also had gained a lot of power in the Jewish community. So, it not all of them. Some of the rabbis were very you know individuals and went you know without courts. We didn't want to have the Hasids coming to them. 
you know the example of Chabad, you know, the, the first rabbi of Chabad, Rabbi Shneur Zalman of Ladi, he was, he told his Hasidim not to come wherever they want to ask for his advice. He said, he said times when the Hasidim can come, the Hasidim, the followers can come and talk to them, talk to him. Also, this, the theme of, uh, of miracles, you know, a lot of, uh, we have a lot of super interesting culture of telling stories about rabbis and how they performed all kinds of miracles. And you can see rabbis who are really far from this and say that's not the right way. But some of them say that they always tell about themselves that they do have these powers. Mm. I just, like, Shifcha Besht, right? Yeah. You have all the book that talks about the Baal Shem Tov, the first, the, the, the founder of the Hasidic, Hasidic movement. Right. So, so the rabbi or the tzaddik, and those words are going to be used slightly interchangeably, although they have different meanings and different associations. There, I mean, it's it's a it's a bit of a tough question to ask what is a rabbi, what is a tzaddik, because it's a question that can be answered on many levels. And and you began to point to some to some sociological, historical, societal, um, and but there's also metaphysical that you start off by saying. So there's really many axes mm-hmm. where that where that individual and that role plays. Um, but in some senses, the the worldly reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, the power, w- the political power, the social power, the, the financial power which they wield, um, is also interti- is also intertwined with the metaphysical mm-hmm. power. Their agents of the divine, their their access of the the divine flow into reality, the shefa, mm-hmm. God's sustenance comes through them often. So there's 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 perhaps a intermingling there between the metaphysical and the social and the metaphysical and the physical we could say right yeah yeah and i think also we should when you go to this this uh, the limit between the metaphysical and the financial and the political i think it also it's a very dangerous place you know and i think that a lot of people are exposed to the dangerous sides of this you know of cults and when the hasidic movement actually started a lot of um a lot of scholars from Jewish scholars of Chochmat Israel, people who started the Askala movement, the Enlightenment movement in the Jewish society, they actually they were really worried that the mass, the most of the people will follow this kind of rabbis and give them power, and also will become, you know, they won't think individually. Right. It was a form of charismatic leadership as well. Yeah, yeah. And I think the charisma is also something very complicated and to hold. And I think that rabbis, the interesting thing is that they kind of knew it. We have also, you know, sometimes texts that talk about their self-reflection upon this power, on on the power they have, Uh, such as the the Rashaz, Rav Shneur Zalman Fladi. Yeah, he said to people don't come every day because they wanted to come every day. Right. So this is delicate. The rabbi is not alone. You don't have you don't have any tzaddik, which is just a tzaddik without followers, right? Who said that tzaddik is a tzaddik, right? He has some kind of audience. Right. It's the it's the people that make that coronate the king that make him king. Yeah, exactly. It's it's interesting, and your engagement with this institution of the. Of the Rebbe Chassid relationship, the tzaddik and and their and their followers, um, is an interesting one because I see you have both a lot of attraction to it, a lot of admiration, a lot of respect uh, yeah. for its power, but also a lot of concern for its power. 
Yeah, I, I think I would never, I would never, I, I couldn't be like a chassid, like a total chassid of something. I think because of my personal biography, which is, now I understand it is connected. The first one you asked me about when I, where I grew up from, what, what's my background? I thought, what's, what does it matter? But when I think about it, like in a deeper level, I think that I, you know, I'm vaccinated from admiration. <laughs> I have, you know, anti-admiration right. gene, right. so I can't remove it. You already so. grew up with with godlike figures. <laughs> exactly, your I finished this right. way, right. this in the Let's last see. chapter. Right. So now I'm just, you know, I'm just curious from this phenomenon, and I think I would always be kind of looking in from inside and outside. I think this is like a position. Yeah, you, you, it, it does seem from from our conversations that you are both inside and outside. It's quite a fascinating yeah. place that you are. Um, I think that this is not only a question which is relevant to the historical study of, of Jewish mysticism and Hasidism and also to contemporary forms of Hasidism which continue and we'll speak about the continuations of those movements and new Hasidic movements that are emerging but I think it's also a question in general of, of leadership um, whether that's with a celebrity and their followers mm -hmm. the role that charisma plays uh, with with musicians and with actors and politicians now that have become equally like celebritized, but also in our in our individual lives, yeah. as we we mentioned yesterday, as as parents, as teachers, as as mentors, there's always that threat of of wielding power over someone, of abusive power, of charisma. Um, how much can we allow people to flourish as individuals? How much do people want to be led? These I think these are really uh, it's super delicate questions. It's super delicate question because I think also in the new age world, you know, when you have a lot of healers and also, you know, you have a lot of exposure to the world of the the subconscious, the unknown, the the mystical, uh, the energy. You know, a lot of terms that you you know we know that the world is more than only the phenomenon we we see. And then, in this world, when somebody is somebody comes and declares himself as somebody who knows more so i think that temptation is very is there and i don't i think it's a real temptation like to go and to say okay somebody else will lead me somebody will show me in this very very blurred you can say blurred uh, blurry blurry yeah in this blurry world somebody will show me the past somebody will show me the day the, right. the way but i just want to say something else that also when people have, when we are we are afraid of something, there is also sometimes a potential there, right. because I think that the temptation of or the the wish for having a real guidance and being that somebody will see you as being a student, it's a big thing, more than you know finding the right guru or something. I think that being in the position of knowing that you are still a student and you wanting to be in this position and that somebody but you're a student not of the world a student of somebody not a student of the internet of the wikipedia right right a student of a specific person who watches you who's, who knows your name and i think this power the power of it we can't just neglect it and say okay it's just people just misuse it and that's it we don't have we don't have the structure of teachers and because then we lose something very very fundamental in ourselves so we also i think should be like generous with our will to find gurus right. it's a real thing right it's i not, hear that i hear yeah. that yeah so you're saying that 
you're saying that the power and the danger that's present in the guru disciple teacher student relationship doesn't mean there isn't a reason why it should be entirely cancelled and dismissed you're saying it's you're saying on the contrary it's actually pointing to its importance and its potency and its psychological weight that it carries when it's when it's done in a healthy way I think so although I can't say that I have like personal good experience my most of my teachers were very far away from me and I don't think most of them knew my name so maybe it's also my personal wish but right. I haven't got like this experience it's not from but they do have like the um, how do you say patience. patience for it right right Fascinating. I think, you know, we've opened up the universality of this question. Yeah. Because uh, it really is a universal question. For sure. Um, and it's a, it's a question particularly relevant to religious and mystical and spiritual traditions where there is this the person who guides us through the unknown, which goes all the way back to the ancient Greeks, the original mm. etymology, the hierophant, the one who shows the individual through the, through right. the, you know, the revelation. And it continues till today. I think um, I think perhaps the best way to tackle universal questions is through a very particular case example, mm. right? Uh, and and in insofar as each particularity um, reflects the the entirety of the of the situation, we can also learn something about the universal from the mm. particular. There's that that deep relationship there. And I think the best particular example is the world of Hasidut. Mm -hmm. uh, and then within the world of Hasidut, perhaps we can differentiate and distinguish between different traditions within that world and how each one throughout the generations negotiates this question of leader and student, disciple and follower, rabbi and Hasid. So where should we start? Should we start with Breslev? Should we start with Chabad? Should we start with, with some of the other traditions? Well, we're starting? We're, I thought we already finished. <laughs> we talked about everything. <laughs> okay. Well, I would start with the best because he's the most interesting example for me, but also... Rabbi Yisrael Baal Shem to the yeah, founder of the Hasidic movement. Yeah, and also I would like us to have a quick stop in Rabbi Menachem Mendel from Vitebsk. Nice. Nice. Because not nice. not don't go always to the you know to the obvious right. Chabad and Breslev, right. you know. Right. You also mentioned yesterday the Kotzker. Yeah. The of Kotzker, it's like also an well. interesting figure. Also, yeah. well, he's a radical. The the last one you you mentioned, Rabbi Nachman of Kotzk, I think is quite radical, and and because he, you know he was he shot himself in the room for closed room uh, for a few years, if if I. Recall. He shot himself. Not, not shot himself. Not shot himself. <laughs> I'm sorry. Right. He died of natural I'm causes. I'm all did it. I did Love said it. So good. No, but let's start from the beginning. If we start from the best, I we see um, the appearance of this charismatic figure. The Baal Shem Tov is considered to be, you know, the first one, the first one who, who started this Hasidic movement, and it's funny because he didn't create any movement. He didn't open, you know. Uh, any company or Bet Midrash or something very, you know, um, Sudal, how do you say Sudal? Organized. organized, yes. So I, I like your proposal to begin with the father of the Hasidic movement, Rabbi Yisrael Bashemtiv, uh, a person who I love dearly. Why do you love him? I love him, <laughs> listen, I never met him. He, he died more than 200 years ago. Yeah. But he, he lives on. He lives on in the movement. I was born into the, to a Hasidic family, mm -hmm. part of the Hasidic movement. And I still identify with it very proudly. The way that he's been painted, and there's been a lot of painting of him done throughout mm. the years, 
right? You start off by speaking about the Shivchei Habesh, the hagiography, telling his miracle stories. But to me, what I see in him, I see, and maybe this is my own reflection, projection unto him, I see a very pure character who, who saw to the core of religion, who saw beyond the, the rules and regulations, saw to its heart. Mm-hmm. He saw that what it demanded was sincerity. Rahmana libabai, God wants the heart. Mm-hmm. God doesn't want your 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 words and your your sacrifices sort of this prophetic message of coming back mm-hmm. to the simplicity almost like a jesus-like figure if we mm-hmm. can upset some people with that comparison mm-hmm. bringing us back to, to to the real core of religion to 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 realizing that we're here on a we're here only for a short time in this world mm-hmm. and we best use it wisely to connect with ourselves with nature he was a he was a man who spent a lot of time in nature with one another and he, he also cared for the for the least among them he cared for for the downtrodden for the neglected he was he was combating uh, an institution of of, Ju- of of elitist judaism where people mm-hmm. were valued based on how much torah they knew and he said no no it's not how much torah you know it's the fact that you have a divine soul inside of you mm-hmm. and your 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 sincere calling out to god is worth more than the sages years of study so to me it's like he's like, he's like an intoxicating figure this this beautiful simplicity this like this person who according to you know the chabad tradition his name calls the jewish people out of this state mm-hmm. of, of fainted of uh, of of unconsciousness back to their true selves well so tell me that's beautiful <laughs> so when you're talking about but this i'm here to interview you no <laughs> but this is very no i think much more i think it was beautiful but then i'm asking myself like what happened then like how come a person which is like so radical and he says you know it's not about how much you learn it's about where's your heart but then when the hasidic movement is is becoming it's manifested and it has such so many books and so many knowledge and it's so much based on the kabbalah and you know and then i ask myself maybe something is gone you know yeah <laughs> not to go doesn't don't want to spoil the party but you know but how do do you Chabad explain it? Do you people? <laughs> do you, <laughs> your 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 kind? What's your what's your explanation for this gap? You know, I think it's a really great question, and I think it's part of I think it's part of the inherent sort of dialectical, if we can use a fancy word, nature of religious development itself, mm. where there's there's a character who calls people to to God, to to service, to, to be humility, authentic, to be to, to authenticity. Um, and that's like the Moses figure who leads the people out of their own slavery and to, to encounter something beyond them, greater than them. Mm-hmm. And then what happens inevitably is that that has to be codified. It has to be put into laws. You can't just have, you can't just be hippies doing revivals forever. It has to be put into social action and it has to be put into institutions. And, but, but the problem is that those institutions then they cover up what the original message was. And part of that means that there's learning, right? It has to be put into text. Mm-hmm. And I think that this, this, this battle, this dance between inspiration, hashra'ah, yeah. between, between the divine fire that, that comes and rests upon the people and they speak in the voice of God to then the recording of those messages that get passed <laughs> on and get emptied down. This is a classic issue. You know, there's a the famous Talmudic um, discussion of the idolatry of Baal Pa'or, mm-hmm. of the ecstatics who would come and worship their idols mm-hmm. with such ecstasy that they would they would lose control of their bodies and they mm. would defecate. But it was done out of this pure ecstatic experience. And, wow. and then their, their children saw that their worship was that they came to the idol 
and they did their business in front of the idol, and that became the entire mm-hmm. practice. That's become the. Became so this the is practice. this is such a classic problem of religion wow. of like of like ha- like religion becoming, th- the fire of religion becoming extinguished because of the very things that are trying to keep it alive. And also the the question of expanding something, you know, the question is whether you can keep a secret in secret, but when you want a lot of people to have this secret. So you must do something. Something is lost when you're talking about the mass. And when the ma- we're talking about the mass, it's funny because, because I'm the mass. I'm the person from the street who didn't grow up in a Hasidic family. That because of the, the ability of the Hasidic movement to write books, to spread itself in the streets of Jerusalem, I could, you know, access those secrets. So it's funny because the, the spread of the movement you know, the Baal Shem Tov it, himself, he saw it in the Egeret Abesh, the big, famous letter that he wrote. Um, and he, ra- he wrote to Gershon Kitover, his brother-in-law. He, and he writes about his uh, Aliyat Neshama, the ascent of the soul that he did. Uh, he did this kind of, of, uh, kind of worship, a kind of a religious experience shamanic in journey. shamanic journey. <laughs> or I don't know, a journey, a kind of yeah. journey in a... In um, in Rosh Hashanah, in the Jewish uh, New New Year, even when he did this journey, he said that he went from uh, from one echal to echal, from one chamber to another in, in the heaven, upper worlds, yeah, yeah. and he saw the Messiah. He actually saw the Messiah, and he was a very good Jew, Jew, Jew because he came to the Messiah and says, "He says, when are you coming? We're hey, waiting." Exactly, and he says, meaning when your your springs will spray uh, will will spread among I know the world, yeah. and the meaning is that these teachings will not stay only yours, and this is I think he knew that it would happen, despite the fact he didn't write any books. Right, right. So you're saying that you're saying that the part of the tragedy of 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 Hasidism, the loss of the romantic interiority, sincerity, was also part of was part of the process that it had to be spread, and that that was part of the mission. Yeah, I think this is part of the mission, and I think this is like the secret is to 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 ask whether something from this the the charisma of the beginning of this pure message that that was in the in. That the Baal Shem Tov bring to the world, whether it's kept or not, in right. nowadays, and also in books, which is my favorite thing in the world, is books. You're saying, is that spark captured in the book in some yeah, sense? Yeah, and I think this is a very interesting question when you come to a book, because it's like the opposite of charisma. Right, right. Right, it's the book, it's like, it's the opposite of the internet, it's the opposite of what we're doing now. Right. It's, it's interesting, because the Baal Shem Tov himself doesn't call Hasidot. Chasidot, that term mm-hmm. that comes later, he calls it Eish Das Lamay. Mm-hmm. He calls it the fiery the fire. word of God, right? Right. And this right. is what we're asking. Can the fiery word of God yeah. be captured in a book or in a podcast? <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is a very good question. I think it's it's an unanswered, right? I think that the motivation should stay there. I think that we don't know whether it could happen or not, but I think something from the, the motivation should be there. And... Motivation, you mean the attempt? The to, attempt, the right. attempt. This is an attempt, you know, and attempts is always you, t- you take a, in account that you will fail, you know, but at least you tried. Right. So that's something very powerful to, to try. To at least try to, to aspire at least try, to try, yeah. It's interesting, you know, this, I think this question that we're speaking about today, 
which which is such an important question and and we're now kind of we have our feet on two big questions the yeah. the question of the 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 saint and the follower the rabbi and the chassid and also the question of of now how do we maintain and contain the fire of religion i think these are questions that are being asked by the early Hasidic movement itself mm-hmm. um i know within the chabad tradition for example there's a very famous um episode where the where the altar rabbi the first chabad rabbi goes to jail mm-hmm. um and there's all kinds of practical political reasons why that happened he was sending money to to israel which is under the ottoman empire which was the enemy exactly. of russia and all kinds of technical things but on a spiritual reading according to the Hasidic text themselves, it's because he was spreading Hasidut so mm-hmm. far and wide that it was it, even beyond the Baal Shem Tov's original idea mm. of spreading the wellsprings forward. Like too much. Too much. Wow. Right. Wow. Um, and there was, and and the way that it's manifest is that there was sort of this text that was found uh, in the in the gutter or in the garbage and that text was kind of flown up by an angel to God and said, look where your precious, <laughs> look where your precious gen is. Um, <laughs> But but it's not just a question of the desecration of a text. It's also, mm-hmm. it's also does the does the message still stay there once it's become turned into a text and so far from a living, mm-hmm. a living embodiment of what the text is supposed to be demonstrating. I I keep thinking about nowadays Braslov Hasidism Hasidim in Israel, which is this specific group of Hasidim that inside this specific group you have a specific session a section oh, and they do graffiti in in all of israel you have this graffiti of nana nachman meuman right uh, it's a specific uh, uh, group inside of the braslov uh, hasidism who believe that uh, the their rabbi rabbi israel odesser who passed, uh, passed away in the 19s, is uh, in a very old age. When he was young in Sfat, he, he, t- he told people that he got this note from heaven, from above. And in this, le- in this uh, note, it was written, Nana Nachman Meuman, which is kind of a strange way to write Rabbi Nachman from Breslov, from Uman, because he's buried in Uman. And he said that this is a petex, it's kind of a say, uh, something sacred, something important, and some, something also messianic. So the followers of this specific session, they do this graffiti in, under bridges in Israel or in all kinds of places. And then you think about it, something, you have a garbage, you know, a garbage can and next to it, this graffiti, and you ask yourself, haven't we gone too far right. with all the idea that God is everywhere, right. everywhere, and that tzaddik can be everywhere, right. and that tzaddik is everyone can hold it and everyone can receive a note from right. heaven? And you're saying this expression of of the graffiti of this of this of this petek of this special letter to the to, to every single street corner of Israel and bumper stickers and trash yeah. cans. You're saying is a, is the real demonstration of like how, like what's what's left in that message? Like what is what's being yeah. Is is the the spark of Hasidism present on the trash can that has the yeah. Nanach graffiti well, on it? My personal, just because it's the podcast, my personal view is yes, that something is is kept there. This is a this is people trying to connect to something which is upper than the tr- trash can. I think it's beautiful. The people who are who are doing the graffiti. Yeah, yeah, right. I think right. it's beautiful. But I think that I I look at this thing as. An attempt to, you know, to to uplift the reality and the broken reality. Those people know that they are broken. People right. are standing in the corner and ask you for 
for a coin. But knowing they're broken, sometimes it's, it's in a way, for me, it's much more healed place than thinking that you're not broken, mm. that you know everything. And I think this is from a Hasidic point of view, being able to admit that you're broken, that you're a trash can, and like laugh about it and I don't know, just just say just pray that you know Rabbi Nachman is with you or imagine that Rabbi Nachman is with you, even though he's dead. So for me it's I think it's it's beautiful. Right. And there's something particular in your description to Breslev. Mm. Breslev which which deals with the sort of the brokenness of the human perhaps more than any other Hasidic mm. movement. You know, they say an anecdote that there are three major texts written around the similar time mm. in early in that early Hasidic moment, which is the Tanya of, of the of the Shner Zaman of the Adi of Chabad. Yeah. There's uh, the Noim Elimelech of Elimelech of Vizhansk, and then there's the Lukatimaran from Reb Nachman. And the famous yeah. the famous saying is that Rabbi Rabbi Elimelech is the first. Yeah, is, yeah, yeah. That he writes for the tzaddik. He writes for the saint amongst us. Mm-hmm. Um, the Tanya is famously also called Sefer Shel Benonim. It's the it's for the average for the, for the average say. for the intermediate. Although in Tanya <laughs> Benonim doesn't average. mean average, <laughs> but <laughs> but in the let's say in the classic sense, it's for it's for the for the average person. And then look at the Maran is for the for the Russia for the wicked amongst us. Well, what what could I say <laughs> <laughs> after this story? No, but so why are you attracted to no? To not look at I, I think it's, it's an awful saying, right? <laughs> I think it's the way they got it all wrong. Yeah, tell me why. <laughs> I uh, no, I I I see the Kutemaran as a very mystical, very elitistic also book. When you open it and try to learn it, it's like it's you, you get like confused and kind of you know, um, the most common word in the, in the Kutemaran is Bchinat, meaning you can't uh, you can't even uh, explain what it is. So you do have these places in Breslev in which Rabbi Nachman is talking about being sad, being sinful, but also you have a lot of places in which he writes about very, very high um, and very spiritual experiences of of uh, being connected to the Shekhinah or being connected to the Tzadikah Emet. And you have a lot of different kind of moments. So I think Raslov Hasidism has just, has bad reputation. <laughs> it's, a, it's a thing of bad reputation. By the way, bad reputation, Rabbi Nachman himself had bad reputation. During his lifetime. During his lifetime. And he used it and he kind of talked about it. And he said, yes, this is a a proof that I'm a real tzaddik because I have uh, people who are against me. And meaning they kind of cover cover me so I can like, like every secret have to have kind of cover. Right. They, they, those mit nagdim are okay. Um, so this is another kind of uh, story. You know you told the story about uh, Shneur Zalman Miladi being arrested and the ethos of why he was why does it happen to us, right? So this is a different kind of ethos like the, the fact that you don't have to cancel your Mitnagdim, your opponents, your people, opposition, yeah. opposition, it's there. It's just just there. The evil is there. Right, and it, and it's playing a metaphysical role that it's it becomes exactly. the husk. It becomes that protects the fruit or something. Exactly, exactly. Right. No, it, it is fascinating the amount of the amount of controversy that Rabbi Nachman raised in his lifetime. The amount of opposition, uh, famously the the Shpal and others who mm-hmm. were very very much opposed to him. 
um, and he he is this sort of tormented master, as the the title of, of one book describes yeah. him, both both perhaps internally and externally. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's but it's fascinating how he he channels that opposition, mm. um, as as opposed to allowing it to to defeat him. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's we've entered like a into a whole world here of of charismatic leadership and 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 continuity and legacy mm-hmm. and. Uh, like I just think there's so many, <laughs> there's so many directions that, that. Well, you know what Rabbi Nachman says that yeah. his Torahs are like a castle that you go inside and suddenly you see this side room and you go inside there and there and then like you you forget your master plan like you, why did you came right, to the why castle? Did we get so this is like right, right, and then there's that famous uh, teaching from from Rabbi Yaakov Yosef of Polnoy mm. that the entire castle is all the is all the Shechina, is all mm. is all God. So, wherever, so it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> wherever we get, wherever I know we get what lost. about the listeners. <laughs> no, no, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure it's, I'm sure it'll be an enjoyable journey into the castle as well. <sighs> Rabbi Nachman himself is very self-aware mm. of of his position, mm. of his relationship to his contemporaries, to his followers. Um, he writes a lot about. In Luka Tamaran, about the the temptation of of power that mm-hmm. comes from teaching, from leading, um, and and ways that we have to guard ourselves against that. There's mm-hmm. one very beautiful excerpt in Luka Tamaran, um, and I'm, I'm, I'll just start us off, and then maybe I'll see. Mm-hmm. <coughs> I'll ask what 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 you'd like to add. Where he where he writes that one has to be very very careful of the temptation that comes with teaching, mm. um, teaching spirituality, and he's and he he points out he's not he's not. He doesn't mince his words. He points out that the temptation is a sexual one, mm. that, that teachers can take advantage of their students, mm. uh, which is something that we see so, so often today amongst gurus, amongst spiritual teachers. And then he writes that the, the cure for this is to make sure that while you're teaching, he writes in very, very stark language how one has to be so careful that they're not mm. doing it from any ego and from any mm. external uh, influence. And he says that, he says elsewhere in a, in a parallel text in Lukot Maran that what keeps one on the straight and narrow is to keep in mind Shuatan Shal Yisrael the, the salvation the redemption of mm. Israel that that has to be your only intention like when the, teaching. the major plan the major yeah. plan right that you have to keep yeah. your eyes on the goal mm. that is this and, and we could maybe perhaps expand that language a bit the salvation of humanity the mm. salvation of of, of of planet earth and reality as a whole mm-hmm. um, and, and when you're focused on that all the other nonsense all the other temptations and ego and metrics they can, they can mm. all fall away so to me, I see I see him ha- that he has a self awareness of the power and danger, and he also has solutions and remedies. I'm mm-hmm. curious what what kind of um, remedies are you seeing emerging within the Hasidic world? Because we don't, I think we can talk a lot about the challenges and and the, and the problems, and they're important to highlight. Like what the solutions? Yeah, but what are the, the solutions? The problems for these? of yeah. the charisma? For, yeah, particularly from within Hasidic thought and text themselves. Well, if we stay a bit more in the Braslav area, I think that Rabbi Nachman, as I see him, I think he also did a lot of things to reject the the charisma, to reject people from sticking to him and to thinking, you know, they're the only students. And I I actually recall another, remember a different Torah, um, I think you see that he talks about What's better? It's a it's a discussion from the Gemara. What's what's better to have, like a student or a son? Who mm. who will keep your data kadosh of the? Who will keep you in the world? Like after you go, 
who will who will carry who, on your sacred legacy exactly who but not legacy in them in the men in the way of some kind of content more like spiritual you know presence mm. like a real dad of a person who what stays after a person is gone and despite the fact he respects the 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 traditional idea of a son of uh, you know this is like all all people we can understand this right living as a son he said he in a way prefers the the student mm. because he said that a son can follow you or not follow you you can you can live something maybe you you won't go in your ways but but the student will will follow you so you have some kind of a deeper connection with the student because you're connected in the spiritual level And then he says something very very difficult for me to say um, that um, that the teacher kind of like 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 he created the student, the student. Mm. this is very very difficult but then after a few passages he moves to a different kind of model and he says and you know each person is can be a teacher and a student for each and every one. This model of a student and a teacher, it's not me at the rabbi and the students, especially in the Rabbi Nachman, which is dead. It's also each two, per, two persons, two people that, you know, gather together and right. somebody is teaching somebody right. in the same moment. He is his teacher right. and he is a teacher. And one person can be a student from from uh, one point of uh, perspective, but A teacher from another so right. each one has something that he can teach the other and this right. is a state of mind it's not a state of institutes of students teachers right. students right. gurus not gurus and right. um, in something much more deep an experience of being able to learn something and being able to teach someone something so right. something um, so even in Breslov I see this you know um, limitation of the power that's a very beautiful way to frame it That it's not a question of of institution and and um sort of a, a unilateral yeah power imbalance but that we're all students and teachers of each other constantly and and that and that as teachers we we have to see ourselves as students right mm. and this it, it's it's sort of a deconstruction mm. of the binary and dichotomy and and the power between teacher and student there's which goes back in some senses to the mishnah right which says That I learned a lot from my teachers mm. more from my peers and most from my students which means that my students are my teachers in some mm. sense <laughs> which returns them to the <laughs> nice. beginning of the mission right can um, I, I feel that way as well I feel I mean you spent many years teaching yourself I've spent a few years in, in different traditional forms and now non-traditional forms teaching I feel that You, you said interesting that he says that the, the student makes the teacher sorry that the teacher the makes teacher the students, makes the students the ma- it makes in a way like like fa- like parents for, for, make the right, you know like right. molidimo right. which i mean which also goes back to the to the classic tamoric yeah. debate of of the son versus the student which mm-hmm. one which relationship takes preference mm-hmm. which has a lot which has legal implications right if you find a lost object ah. you're supposed to return it to your teacher not to your father this because your teacher brings you into the next world and your father only no, brought you into this world and the next world is greater so these are all they're questions awful, they're awful. <laughs> <laughs> i mean whether we like them or not these are <laughs> I'm, i'm just saying that these are very old questions that mm-hmm. that percolate in the jewish mind throughout the ages not only jewish right it's like it was it's in a A platonic, platonic dialogue. It's right. also like a big, major issue of a student and uh, a teacher-student relationship. It's very like big, big, big question. Right. 
Yeah. So yeah, you're right. It's not just. It's not. Sorry. It's a, definitely a universal question, not just not just a Jewish question. You were saying you were saying that it's a, this strange phrase that this that the teacher creates the student. Yeah. Right. Which like the father creates the mm -hmm. child in some sense, but I think that the student creates the teacher too. Mm. Right. We come we come thinking that we're gonna be sharing something or or teaching something or giving something over, but it's the the reception of of the student. That very much forms what it is that we have to give. Mm. I mean, this is a question that's dealt a lot in Hasidut as well, which is that the the feminine, who's the mm. recipient mm. in in Hasidic metaphysics, mm -hmm. becomes the giver. Malchut mm. becomes keter. Um, this mm. is a very classic nice. dialectic in Chabad thought. Um, do you see Do you see that relationship being being discussed and comp and and sort of complexified in 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 breast of Hasidut as well? Well, you have I have you have it in the third generation, Rabbi Nachman of Cherin. He started to talk. Well, Rabbi Nathan before also. He started to say, "We are all students of students, Talmidim shel Talmidim." And he started to talk about and to write about the fact that now, when the rabbi is gone, what's left is to have to be a Talmid of a Talmid. But there is a beautiful saying also in Breslov that Ashrei Enaim Sheraute Enaim Sheraute Enaim Sheraute Rabenu. It's like happy is the eyes that saw the eyes of the students, that saw the eyes of the students, that saw, saw, uh, right. uh, that saw Rabbi Nachman. Right. So you have you. you it's a beautiful expression. It's a beautiful expression because. It's in a way says that it's not only about the books; it's also about the people who actually got this tradition. Right. And the eyes so that saw the eyes that saw the eyes. That's gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. I. So so that's interesting that they're already they're already dealing with these questions of of teacherlessness mm -hmm. and students that exactly. become teachers in in the third generation from the beginning from the second from Rabbi Nathan. He said we're orphans. What are you going to do? Right. His answer is basically I. Rabbi Nathan is going to print a lot of books, the maximum books he can. He takes all his money. He opens this print uh, printing house in in his house, and it's very very illegal back then. And he prints as much as as you know as much as he can right. Hasidic material. Is under uh, communism already? Uh, no, it's before no. communism. It's There's before. It's uh, before. Uh, uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. No, no, <laughs> it's a uh, eighteen like thirty-five. Okay. Movies. He opens it. Uh, yes, under the czar, and he can't. Everything is very organized. You can't open a printing house. Right. Okay. So you have to. You have censorship. You have a lot of things that you have to do before you you print a book. And he opens this printing house. Gives all the, all his money. Um. He he also. So this is his project. Also, he collects students, like new followers, especially from the young people. They follow Rabbi Nathan. The older students of Rabbi Nachman are not, doesn't, they don't respect Rabbi, Na Rabbi Nathan so much. They don't, we don't know a lot about it. We don't have their books. We, you know, history is written by the winners. Right. So in a way, this is true about the first students of Rabbi Nachman. We don't know exactly what they thought about Rabbi Nathan taking this kind of leadership right. um, the leadership that he that he received through the eyes through the eyes right. but the leadership it's a, still it's a leadership it's not it's not a, a it's not quite being a rabbi right he, he wants to say to uh, they talk about hasharato akdosha his sacred remain of Rabbi Nachman right. they want to keep the him residue yeah, they, they want to keep Rabbi Nachman's present in the world. So one of the things they're going to do, except of printing books, is to 
um, start to, to um, go on Rosh Hashanah, they starting this custom of going to Rosh Hashanah um, to Uman, to Rabbi Nachman's grave, the and pray there. Right. Yeah, in the Jewish New Year. And they pray there for... They don't pray for Rabbi Nachman, but Rabbi Nachman is a kind of uh, a lawyer for them. He's a kind of um, somebody who connects them to God. And, you know, nowadays you have, before the war, 100,000 people coming to Uman each right. year. So it became really a mass movement. Right. And the purpose of it was to make Rabbi Nachman's charisma kind of stay in the world. Fascinating. This is an, also an attempt. Fascinating. Everything is attempts, very poor right, ones. Right. They're, they're all attempts. That's but, the whole... But beautiful. Right, right. You're appreciating <laughs> the attempts. You know, it's, it's interesting. I, I, I want to apologize. Usually I don't talk so much during the interviews. I'm, I'm here ah, more really? To, yeah, I'm here more to ask questions ah, and to I listen. See. But this is such an exciting subject, which is so yeah. close to my heart. That I'm, that I'm, uh, I feel compelled to share as well. So I, ho I, hope, <laughs> I hope that's <laughs> you okay. You have something? No, sure. For me, it's, it's great. It's, it's a conversation. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> it's, it's really, really fascinating to, to think about what you're describing in the first generations mm -hmm. of Breslov, following the passing of Rabbi Nachman, the great master. Um, to think about my own experience growing up as a child. Mm. I was born 1994. Mm -hmm. The year that the Lubavitcher Rebbe passed away, wow. physically. Um, physically. Physically. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> because the, 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 the Talmud says that, that, that the wicked, Rishayim, mm -hmm. during their lifetimes, even while they're biologically, physically alive, they're already dead. Because mm -hmm. their lives are meaningless. They're, they're purposeless. But the Tzaddik, even, even in their death, they're called alive. Tzaddikim afbimitatamkuim chayim. So it's hard for me to say that the Rebbe is dead. Because mm -hmm. for me, he's not dead at all. For me, he's very much a living presence. Well, what's dead anyway? Right, yeah. right. No, so we're, we're blurring the lines between teacher and student, between mm -hmm. death and life. These are, all these are all lines that get blurred in the Hasidic discourse. So, but, but the question, the sense of being an orphan is a sense mm -hmm. which I very much felt growing up and mm -hmm. a sense which was shared amongst my generation and, and those that came a bit before me as well, that experience there was passing. But also the sense of, of seeing the eyes that saw the eyes mm -hmm. um, is... Is very beautiful, but it's also very sad, right? It's very sad. There's, there's this, there's this desire that that emerges from from the biblical prophets that says, uh, that, that your eyes, this blessing, that your eyes should be deserving to to glance mm -hmm. upon your teacher, mm -hmm. uh, upon your master. Um, and I never saw the rabbi alive. Mm -hmm. I I saw the eyes of those that saw him, right? I lived with the inspiration of those mm -hmm. that 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 experienced it themselves. And for me, that was. It was. It's very sad, and very beautiful. It's beautiful. I think it's it. It gives you the freedom and the power, like to create your own way. I I think I look on this as an opportunity, as a very generous thing that the rabbi didn't leave any anybody after him. It's. If you did have another rabbi, so you will follow this rabbi and not the Lubavitch right, rabbi, right. right? Right. So that's I think that's that's the big question that, that that we want to ask here and that we began to ask yesterday, which is why why didn't these these rabbim these mm -hmm. rabbis um, leave succession? Why mm -hmm. didn't Rabbi Nachman appoint a successor? Why didn't Rabbi Menachem Well, the Lubavitcher didn't leave anyone because some some would say he thought he's the last one, right? Right. Right. The last one, but then it's interesting. The last, the last of what? Right? Ah, Haron. 
מיני האחרון בתוך משהו, like the, the last, last one inside right. of, oh, the, there is the first, the second, the third, last. The last of exile and the first of redemption is, is how The redemption, yeah, right. Yeah. So this is right, very radical to think uh, them. He said about himself, he's the last. Yeah, the, Reb- the Rebbe in the, in the very first Maimur, Mm-hmm. the very first uh, public discourse that the Rebbe gave when he accepted the leadership. About Ilegani. About Ilegani, which yeah. we discussed yesterday briefly. The Rebbe said that this is the seventh generation. Because it's the seventh, mm-hmm. based, on a t- based on a Talmudic discussion, it, it means that we're the last generation of exile and the mm-hmm. first generation of redemption. Like Moses was the seventh, and he was the last generation of exile yeah. of Egypt and the first generation of redemption. And that's explicit. And this is, this is not... People think that the Rebbe's messianism only began at the end of his life, When, when things were dying down, the messianism was there from, from, the, the, very, first, from the very first public from the first inaugural public. address. And mm-hmm. the Rebbe writes in his diary, which we have after he passed physically, that when he was three years old in Cheder, in, in the childhood elementary yeah. school back in Russia, that the Rebbe says that I had in my eyes, talking about eyes as well, I had in my eyes a vision of a redeemed world. Of wow. a messianic reality and the Rebbe says I never let that vision leave my eyes wow so from this from is what is vision from the yeah, beginning yeah listen growing up in Russia in the t- three years old is very dangerous as we started in the it beginning was. it was a dangerous time <laughs> and, the, 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 and the Rebbe writes about, about times that as a child that, he, that there was danger and they had to mm-hmm. protect other children a dangerous time so it's a fascinating conversation we were we were having we are having <laughs> um, about The role of, of leadership of tutelage of teaching on a spiritual path and a religious path mm-hmm. um, and how they get mixed how they gets mixed into questions of authority and trust uh, independence um, and and messianism is the last topic mm-hmm. that we're speaking about now there's something about the messianic agenda or the messianic drive that demands a certain level of independence and Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd be curious to hear your thoughts about that because the, the Hasidic paradigm and the guru st- student paradigm in general or teacher student paradigm is where there's a, there's a center of authority, of knowledge, of spiritual mm-hmm. power um, and then there's the recipient of that mm-hmm. but the question is what, if we're trying to create a messianic reality mm-hmm. Is that a relationship which is able to bring about that reality that's kind of the question which I want to mm. which I want to explore next well first I have to ask about your assumption that if we with the messianic movement like one what's what's messianism yeah. in, Ju- in Judaism what's the role in it uh, like in Hasidic movement because your assumption is that the Hasidic movement wants to be a part in, from the messianic effort it's a Chabadic uh, assumption mm-hmm. Well, 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 so because I would say <laughs> that I, I just I don't want to just want to say that I don't I'm well, you do have the best, right? We talk right. about it. They get it the best. You have Futsumaya and Otecha Chutza, right? The letter that he writes to his brother-in-law about meeting the Messiah. Exactly. Right. And the Messiah, in this, uh, in this uh, letter, he writes, he writes about how he met the Messiah. And he asked him, when are you coming? And he said, when Kshia Futsumaya and Otecha Chutza. When your springs will how do you say it be spread out be spread out um, the, the other side of the phrase is like outside spread outside beyond of, what I told beyond you. beyond what mm-hmm. I taught you so this is a question of of uh, the what's this beyond right the beyond more people 
like right. as much as as the world can i don't know all the world or chutza i don't know what this chutza exactly what's be this beyond but if i put this aside so we do have this uh, question of whether the Hasid the hasidism uh keep the, the messianic you know drive um you know Gershom Shalom, sure. yes, yeah, so Gershom Shalom, one of the biggest Kabbalah scholars, he said that there is some kind of uh, you know, sublimation of the Messianic drive. And suddenly you have it in Chabad, in like, it's the center of, of the work of the last rabbi. So it's quite confusing and whole, this whole question of whether the Hasidic movement wants to bring the Messiah or maybe they want to go in to the individuals and say, you're part of the messianic effort, but in a very, very individual way. Right. Not in a way of uh, maybe other people would say tikkun olam, right. like bringing the world for a better phase or something. Right. So this is one question about messianism that like, we must ask ourselves. So that's the first question um, of whether there is a genuine messianism yeah, and what, yeah. what is the messianism amongst the Hasidic, in the Hasidic movement. Yeah, what, I have another one. Is there a second question? Yeah, there is I, a I second question. I feel like question. there was a second one there. There's only, I, I just thought this morning about Chapter Itzvi. You know, we had this Jewish attempt for bringing the Messiah. Right, the great Jewish heretical Messiah. E radical or... Uh, heretical, know, heretical. Heretical, yeah, yeah, yeah ex exactly. So we had this kind of experiment, right, of motivation of like this burst, it partsut. Explosion. explosion of you know this also the audience you know we don't have people erased you know the the all the letters and all you know we don't know the amount of influence he had but we can we can imagine okay Bashevi Singer is writing about this he had a lot of influence right. people wanted to to, uh, to become closer to God they really thought that this is this is happening and yeah, it was I huge. Yeah, it was really, really big, big story, and the, also it's very, it's a very big shame, I think, upon this. Like, right. what, what happened? How could we follow this, right. this uh, false Messiah? But what I was thinking this morning is the relationship between um, Shabtai Tzvi and Natan Azati. In a way, Gaza, his primary disciple. Exactly, and he's not only a d disciple and a student of him, and like he follows him and he writes about him. It is an in a way he manifested him as right. a messiah. Right. He had a large, very large role in this story of right. messiah. You right. had this potential things that chapter we had from biographical point of view and from, I don't know, from. I'm not sure from Kabbalistic, you know, knowledge if he had some kind of new Torah to bring. He had his his take, right? But I think that a big, big role. Natan Azati had really big role in this game. Right, so right. the Messiah, the student, and the, the teacher, and Messianism historically are very heavy questions. Right. It's almost like the relationship. It's almost like Nathan is to Shabtai what Paul is to Jesus in some sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, because Paul, you know, he has this moral, you know, things. You have a lot. Of, uh, yeah, it is. I don't. I'm not sure. I cannot. <laughs> You're the to, expert here from no, like no, the no, general. No, 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 <laughs> to, to the extent that that there's the, sort of the messianic 
uh, lone figure who's yeah. having their mystical visions and having their you know vision for a greater world and then there's the person who is actually doing their marketing and their PR and it's spreading not, the good word it's more than PR because Nathan, Nathan from Gaza he was like you know a theology uh, master he was he, he wrote a lot about it right. I think he did um, not only the PR work he also did the internal you know manifestation of the like the the theology of Shabbat Shabbatot right so it was he had a big role in it and it is a question like whether the imaginative messiah who will have students will have uh what's what's happening there like if you take the jewish traditional you know even not in hasidism the jewish traditional role of the rabbi and his followers so whether the messiah will be you know this kind of rabbi-like figure right it goes right. back to the rambam and the right. the, the figure of who is exactly the Messiah? Right. Okay, so we're, we're, we're opening up some very broad questions here. Yeah. We're opening up some very broad questions about Messianism in general, different different types and figures of Messiah, Messiah and their relationship to the disciples, which is an important theme for, for our conversation here. Maybe let's, let's take two of these yeah. questions separately. The first question of the role and place of Messianism in Hasidic thought, in Hasidism, and then... The, the models and how that manifests in relation to, to their students. Mm -hmm. Let's let's deal with those separately. I think that I think that on the first point, there's been um, there's been some recent some later scholarship since Shalom. Shalom kind of devalued the yeah. place of messianism in, in the Hasidic world. He called it the neutralization of messianism. I think I think work by Adele and others has shown yeah. that it wasn't so much a neutralization, but more of an interiorization. Mm -hmm. Right? As you were saying, it's not so much about tikkun olam to fix the world as a whole, but it's some sort of inner process mm -hmm. in the microcosm, which then does obviously affect and relate to the macrocosm. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, it could be that I'm reading the Hasidic corpus through the Chabad lens, so I'm imposing that upon it. But but Idel does draw this line from, of course, from Avalafia and yeah. onwards, of the, the internal messianic redemption, that we, we, we redeem ourselves. The world is a very big place to fix. Mm -hmm. And if we can fix ourselves, then in some sense we're fixing our world. Mm -hmm. Do you see that as a theme perhaps, as a cross to find some middle ground here, as a theme across the Hasidic traditions? I think yes, and I think that's the reason for this is not only like a, it's like a development, natural development, like a tree, you know, oops. It's not just a natural development of, of ideas throughout history. I think it's also connected to the fact that Hasidic movement is a modern movement. Right. Right. And this shift, we often forget it because we are in the modern, you know, point of time, you know. I had a teacher, uh, Yoni, Yoni Gaub, uh, she's a big scholar of Kabbalah, and uh, he said, he, he always talked about the fact we look, we tend to look on texts from our point of view back, right. and we forget that we're also part of this revolution of the modern world. So sure. for, for us, like talking about the self, uh, fixing the person is fixing the larger world all these things um, are are new and i think the hasidic movement it's it's kind of a reaction or it's a reflection of the whole you know modern period in which the the questions are not about the world like what can you say about the world the world is it's not only big it's uncontrolled it's um i don't know if it's a despair from the world or what is it exactly but it's the it's not a despair from the world commotion is an an emphasis of the self right so right. the self becomes an issue right and a big thing and the self of the tzaddik and the self of the 
you know, the, all the romantic also movement, right? People in Germany, they look on the trees, but they, you know, it's a manifestation of their own thoughts and inner world. So you have it in literature also in the same period of time in another area, place. But and so what I want to say is that I kind of agree with Idel and how the way you you presented it that it's a, it's an internal messiah but it's not just internal in the way we think about it it's you know i feel i'm the messiah and right. i am redempt myself and that's it it's a belief it's much more radical it's a belief that by doing this you are redempting or yeah. there is you're yeah. taking part and from the in this messianic movement right and it's it's interesting. I, there is it's definitely important to to not do anachronistic readings of history. To yeah. know that we are in a certain point in history, and there are certain conceptions. I'm I'm slightly. I don't want to get too much into a tangent because I want to focus on the question of leader and disciple here mm -hmm. in, in the messianic context, uh, and what that may mean for us mm -hmm. if we can if we can try and bridge that gap. But I, I think so, I think sometimes this um, the argument that it's only in modernity that we turn to the self to the inner sometimes overlooks. Mm. Texts like Plotinus's Enneads mm. and Plato's Republic, mm. where the, the the cosmic and divine drama, you know, mm. for Plotinus, the the one, the nous and soul are actually happening inside the self mm. as well. Um, so you I, don't I, buy this theory. I no, I, it's important. You're not the only one. Ramak also is uh, writing a lot about himself, right? He writes some kind of Cordovero. Cordovero, Rabbi Moshe Cordovero from Sfat. He wrote about. He writes this beautiful explanation about the upper worlds, the worlds, the God, everything. And then he says, like, I'm talking about this. I know it's from like, for right. my own body, right. like this kind right. of suddenly in the middle of the book, you have this right. phrase. So right. you do have this, you know, the way they, they looked and the self exists before the modernity, right? right? So, and also the self reflection. Yes. So we do have this, this, um, it's like Freud didn't invent it, the, I don't know how to say, the psycha, the, the, the soul. Right, the, the psyche. Yeah. yeah. The ego. He didn't yeah. invent the ego, he just right. talked about right. it. Right. Yeah, so no, so it's, it's a true point. I guess, I guess the question then is, uh, is, is the degree of emphasis or how central it becomes. So, so we, we found some common ground here that in the Hasidic movement across Hasidism, there is a messianic uh, tendency and direction, but it's one which is, which is internal, one which is... Um, a redemption which one reaches in themselves what mm -hmm. the what the what the mystics call a gula pratite mm -hmm. a personal a private redemption which then has these ripple effects these these ramifications these hashlachot in, mm -hmm. in reality around yeah. well you know Vraslav I can't avoid Vraslav because yeah. this, I come from like five years of learning and and thinking about Vraslav so when I think about when I think about Vraslav I think about things saying right. my fire will be you know lightened until will burn until the messiah will come and although from yiddish it's funny because he say tluen and tluen is as i understand it it's kind of you know it's not burning fire mm. it's like this sparkles mm. fire fire mm. and i don't know why rabinathan and his followers kind of uh, thought that the the all the translation should be i think it's it's a different picture of you know the fire or you know sparkles interesting 
But if I go back to Breslev, one of the interesting things we have that Rabbi Nachman said that the Messiah will learn his book, Likutei Moharan. Hmm. So the Messiah <laughs> will be, if we talk about the student and the teacher, it right. breaks all this, like, you know, what the things we imagine. This is why, why I asked before, where, when we imagine the Messiah, is he a teacher? Right. This is just a right. funny and interesting question to think of. And in this um, saying of Rabbi Nachman, he's not the teacher, he's kind of a student of Rabbi Nachman because he learned right. his book. Right. He right. learns Likutei Moharan, which right. is Rabbi Nachman's book. Right. It's kind of disturbing right. to think. Right. On it's interesting. Rabbi Nachman had a lot of... It's interesting that you bring this up. He had a lot of um, very enigmatic mm -hmm. sayings specifically about about the messianic figure at the end of mm -hmm. times. Um, some some very bizarre statements. There's Well, bizarre, it's kind of judgment. <laughs> <a> judgment? <laughs> <laughs> um, how would you describe them? You know, You know what I'm referring to. He speaks about the Messiah as um, as coming and wearing strange hats and strange. From yeah, 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 meaning yeah. Yeah. Well, there is this uh, text of that was was revealed lately, right? It's, yeah. it's some kind of text that uh, was uh, because of uh, historical reasons. Breslov Hasidim always uh, censored their texts, right. and this was a text that uh, Tzvi Mark has revealed. Right. And he opened it up, and it was it was coded, and he kind of opened it up, Megillat Starim, which is a very important work. And in this work, Rabbi Nachman describes the the Messiah, and it's so interesting to see the description, which is some kind of a young young man who is he's not. It's interesting what is not. He's not a big scholar, right. and he's not a big rabbi. Right. He's just a person who moves from community to community with kind of musical band or something. Right. And he, with this music, through music, he, he uses the um, to waking up people. And there's I don't remember thing a thing with hats. Right, but he, he says is, that he says that he'll be a, a child. You're a child, right. yeah. But right. it's not the only one who thought right. about the Messiah right. as, as a child, yes, right? Yes, the that child is, a motif is very. That comes earlier, right? It's a motif, and the child also, you know, you have it in 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 the tarot cards. Okay, let's see. It's a, go. Let's go to a far, far away theme, right? Yeah. When you have a a child, it's meaning it's not a child, right? It's in the, the upper soul. It's something spiritual. Right, the so, yeah, the it's an archetype. Right. Let's um. Let's let's focus here on, on this question of teacher and student mm -hmm. and and messiah and disciple. What what relationships? So, if we can agree that that the Hasidic movement uh, is trying to do something messianic in their own way, they're not trying to do the biblical form of messianism or even the rabbinic, or even the kabbalistic. That there's their own form of messianism, very spiritualized, internal, um, mystical form of messianism. We can say, mm -hmm. what what is the relationship there that we're seeing in? In Hasidic movements, um, between the rabbi and Hasid, between the the teacher and follower, mm. when it comes to this question of of messianism, maybe you'll share the the Breslev, and I'll try and chime in <laughs> on the Chabad side. It's always good. <laughs> no, I, I'm I'm thinking of the broader, you know, thing that we that we see is I think about Sudash Lishit. Um, you know, one of the moments which are like the most important things, uh, important mo moments in which 
rabbis delivered their speech, their, some kind of spiritual, mystical, you know, drasha and speech to, to their audience was in Shabbat. And right. I think it's not... So it's, Dash is the third meal of Shabbat, it's the third which is meal. Shabbat uh, af- late afternoon, which is considered mm-hmm. a very, very important spiritual time mm-hmm. for the mystics. Yeah, and we see, I think it's not... It's not accidental that they talk on Shabbat because I think they view Shabbat as some kind of uh, mini, uh, mini of mini of uh, Olam Abba, the, uh, the the world to come. Right, the messianic period. Right. Exactly. It's not exactly the messianic period. It's right? Olam Abba. It's Tchiat Amiti, and you had this like a Jewish. Uh, um, division between the messianic the messiah will right. come wars maybe you know you have all kinds of pictures right. of you know the end of the end the jewish of the eschatology yeah jewish eschatology is full of pictures but you do have some some sense uh, shabbat is connected in the hasidic movement to to this uh, to the upper world to the to the world can and i think that we can see also a lot of they talk about the, themselves delivering the drasha, delivering the talk, not only in front of their audience, their physical audience, but also in front of like kind of elionim or all kinds of, you right, know, celestial beings, celest- angels. Yeah, yeah, well, this is the, the English works. Yeah, celestial beings. So, I think this is beautiful idea, and this is exactly it mean means that in a way they feel they are at the moment in the world like right. they experience themselves in creating this kind of small small messianic moment right there's something that i do i i'm thinking about like a question i deal with sorry the, i have a question with you know when i look i have a lot of friends can i i, I want to say something personal sure please al on messianism so when i divide my friends okay what kinds of divisions right. one of the divisions i like to do only in my head they don't know most of them don't know about they're it they're about to know they're about to know why well, they don't know <laughs> they won't get this far in the but one of the divisions that i tend to do is between people that have this character or drive messianic drive yes. and those who are not yes well i consider myself as one of those who don't have this interesting <laughs> you know i consider myself tendency. someone who does have it who does have so, yeah. well usually a lot of my friends yeah my spouse my I, my teacher a lot of people around me and because i'm not like this i i'm looking at them and what I see it's also it, there's two uh, three elements it's not scientific it's really it sounds like a science it's not <laughs> a science at all you can move it off the blog it's not interesting but I just want to share that one is the assumption that something is changing in history of time we're now in the end of something we're not standing on the cliff we're not on this line and we're not on the normal timeline something has happened oh we're on the on the on the edge of something a tragedy a tragedy ecological you know right something is going to happen or a war is about to happen or a war is already happened it's a very imminent sense of a rupture of end of times it's a it's a personal vision of something is it could be it it doesn't have to be um, you know, a real war. It could be like, you know, we were in the middle of intellectual war right. against right. X or Y. Right. Right. This is one. 
Right. Okay, this is the vision of kind of a war that's happening. Two is the idea of we have to do something. Some something is have have to be done. Right. Right. It's not like a despair because you could also say something is happening in the world and whatever. Right. Okay. This is where I'm kind of standing. Yeah. Mm. But but somebody is going is have to do. We have a potential here of fixing. There's a sense of responsibility to no, participate. No. Yeah. I still, you don't have. Well, I don't know. You, you could think. I wish that somebody will take responsibility. Right, but right. third is to say, I'm the only one who mm. can do it. Wow. <laughs> this is a switch. Oh, this is a very extreme form of messiness in the viewer <laughs> that your friends <laughs> so and partner are manifesting. Uh, I have quite, I can't. Can they themselves it. have to do something about the situation. Well, it, they don't scream in the middle of Jerusalem, right. I'm the Messiah, right. right? They don't do it. Right. But in a way, they like it, it, it turns their head of thinking like, what exactly? What is the thing? What can I do here to fit into history, to leave a, leave the mark on the history? Right. And sometimes this goes with capitalistic. It it, it goes. It doesn't have to be with religious right. Um, right. emotions right. or feelings or right. thoughts or right. beliefs. Right. I think that you have this, you know, messianic character in. I don't know. Maybe you could be a vegetarian activist. Right, you could be a communist, a Marxist, a socialist. Exactly, right. exactly. And I think this is, and going back to communism, when we started the talk, I, talk, I, I told you about the journey I'm doing with my own personal family background. And when I just looked without um, prejudice, yeah. without any, you know, former paradigm on on uh, the the beginning of the revolution of the communist revolution and i i what i saw is a lot of individuals when i i'm reading the texts that people wrote they really believed that yeah. they're standing in the end of one world bad one pogroms misjustice misjustice i don't know uh, not injustice. Say, injustice and they stand they stand in the front of another world yes. but they have the self a role yes they have a role personal role in this thing so they were willing to give up upon a lot of things right. they had like the shtetl right. and the language and the yiddish right. because they person they they gave up upon those things yes. and then they could join the revolution yes well it was a bad bad right. decision but it i'm was, curious why it was a messianic machine why do you um why do you not include yourself in that in that camp where which on the on, on which of those it's points it's a matter of character it's mm. not a belief i think it's this is what i'm saying like being this kind of having this kind of thought i think that this is in a way it's it's a character right i think you'll find people who are not not having this character going more to the literature like running away to like spheres when you don't have real activism but right. you have just you know a descriptive like description of the inner processes that are happening right. you have right. this artistic i'm more in the artist well maybe you can split this is a very strange world view but you maybe i am splitting the world like messianic people and artistic people mm. i don't know i mean that's, that's interesting because I, I do know a lot of artists or, or people that are artistic that are also messianic. Uh, and, and I'm sure you do. It's not a real theory. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, and for them, for, them it's, for them, their art is, 
is a form of manifestation or a form of uh, trying to evoke something from their own consciousness or from those around them. But so, but let's let's talk about us no, for a second. No, but this is you know this maybe Hasidic arts. But you know, like the arts, and it's you know pure manifestation. It's only like an amusement. You know, you do it. Why? An no, art I, don't, for I, the I, th art. I, th I think if someone's an activist and they're protesting against climate change and they make a big mural as a form of art. I think that's I think that's I think that's both art and messianic in in a, mm, in a sense. There's something there's something about it. Yes. Let's let's talk about us for a second here because this is interesting. The um. So you're you're in the position of a scholar who's doing a descriptive work. You're describing mm -hmm. what's happening amongst these movements. You're not prescribing. You're not saying how people should act or how the world should be. Right. No, in any right? way. And you're not interested in doing that from from no. what you're saying. So. So. It's but, it's the opposite. As much as they, you know, the, they do the strangest thing and they write the strangest theology. I gain from it. Well, it's a bad. It's, <laughs> it's it sounds bad, but you know, I gain from it because it's more interesting for right. me, like to look right. at what's happening. Right. And you are a teacher. You're yeah. actively teaching in a, in multiple institutions here. Mm -hmm. In your role, and you're you're teaching about the relationship between a, te a teacher and a disciple, a teacher and students. Yeah. Particularly in, in messianic. And mystical contexts. Yes, uh, yeah. So we, we, it's not a theme, right? But we can't avoid it, so we kind right, of right, we, right. It's there if you're going yeah, to be teaching. Yeah, it's there. It's there. I'm curious in what way, and maybe maybe the answer is in no way. But I'm curious in what way, if any, does it impact your own understanding mm. of your own role as a teacher and your own relationship mm. to your students? Wow. I, I think it's the opposite. I, I would never want my students to think I'm, you know, a mediator to God or a manifestation of God's words or something. In a way, I don't know, I think they would maybe, they would like to do it. I don't know. Well, now not because they already know me. Like, <laughs> maybe in the beginning, I know, when they hear mysticism, a teacher, I don't know what, what they imagine. But really? once they get to know me, I think that the most important thing for me is to stay free also to, to speak freely and to speak well freely meaning without runs in a way without res this responsibility of representing right. of educating I don't know if I'm the best example for educators this is why I didn't go to school yet I don't know maybe I'll go to school and to teach uh, uh, smaller children I think it's complicated. Yes, I think that we, as a teachers, we, we as a students, maybe we want our teacher to to be in this kind right. of role, right. and once he or she breaks it, right. it's kind of um, it's confusing. Right, because they're yeah. no longer filling that that divine role. The the person who's giving us wisdom, the person who they just become a human like us, and they feel like neglected in the right. world without right. anybody you know guiding them right. and i think this is a very good starting point as a human to right. feel neglected in the oh. world <laughs> you, think, you think that's you think that's <laughs> this a good is place. the beginning right. this beginning right. i don't want to sound i don't want to sound you know like guru like people you know they always the western eastern eastern the eastern gurus always you know you had to when you learn yoga not you. I didn't learn yoga in the, in the, in the East, right? Right. But they live with the teacher for right. like you know, twenty right. years and right. stories, right? right? They live uh, with the teacher twenty right. years in Buddhism, and then after this, he tells them, "Okay, let's start learning." Okay, now you finished all this, you know, Buddhist right. tales about how people develop. And this is actually a major theme there. 
but I think they look at it in a more free way than us. I'm getting almost like a Nietzschean sense from you that oh you <laughs> that you want to do away with like to with do away with authority. Don't like be on your own. There's like a quite an existential, like yeah. stand on your own two feet. Yeah. Yes. Is kind that fair? Of, kind of. Yeah. Something like this. And also, I think we didn't discuss gender, but I think mm. it's a it's a major issue here. Mm. I we have to remember that throughout history, when we look on the theme of initiation, yeah, and um, teaching throughout history, and the written history we see that most of the the relationships would be between rabbi and students male rabbi and male students right. and i think that with the feminist changes and feminist movement so i think we should broaden our understanding of what's teaching and what's knowledge and right. what's getting knowledge right and for example you know a lot of always you when you see women who start to talk and they say they apologize before. Mm. I'm sorry. I'm mm. not sure. I don't know. Mm. So there is uh, this feminist saying of saying, "Don't apologize. Right. Do it like a man. Go on the stage. Be unprepared and just say your thing." This is how they have done it all, all the history. Now it's our turn. But I look in the, at this in the opposite. Like I, I'm grateful to have the ability to apologize mm. and to be humble. Mm. So it gives a certain bad show to the audience but i i don't quite i don't care that's very fascinating you're saying that that the the way that the feminine style of teaching feminine form of teaching versus the masculine is one which is inherently embraces uh, a humility and a uncertainty uh, and a the capacity to admit doubt i'm i'm i'm, I'm guessing you'd say that both biological men both men and women could both be teaching in a feminine or masculine character, right? It's not restricted. Yeah, I, I, don't, I, I don't agree with this kind of saying that this is a feminine, this is masculine. I think that's just, this is a side that, this is what we see in history. This is what we see, like the teacher, he teaches the knowledge, the students are capturing, like they're maybe like the feminine side, they're mm. like receiving, receiving the knowledge right, right. and they the don't have... they're certainly the feminine. Exactly, right. and they don't have an opinion. That, well, well, you see, people are really rude nowadays, and this is very blessed. It's a big blessing. Everybody's rude. Everybody has the internet. If something is not interesting, you can switch to another <laughs> podcast, you know. And I think that we must, you know, think on, on different methods, different things. But we have to remember that still the idea of, uh, of uh, somebody who is a guru and telling you how to live precisely, taking your money, taking your freedom it still it exists right sure sure, I, sure. i'm not saying this like we are, we're on the real path a uh, new path right. and everything is changing right. no you have all kinds of voices still but you're saying with with the feminist movement there is the capacity uh, for a new model of teaching i'm hoping so i'm kind of right. and, I you're, have and hope. you're seeing it to some degree I don't know. My, my all my education, like wor world, was in the in the Israeli universities, in which still my field of Kabbalah is right. is um, captured with uh, a lot of you know this classic figures. Is it changing say. now these days? It's changing. In, well, you do have you do have professors like I was uh, in a class of Rachel Lior, yeah. and and this is a very very also. Um, 
אימפורטנט סקולר נעים עדה רפפורט, עדה אלברט רפפורט. And she passed away about a year and a half. Um, and Ada was like this. I, I remember Ada came to me. Okay, I remember Ada wrote about Braslav Hasidim. And I, she, was, she, was living, she, she lived in uh, London. And I arrived to London just to visit the family. And I wrote to Ada with like big like, respect. And I'm sorry, Professor Rappaport Albert. I know you're busy, but maybe you have some kind of time to drink tea. Wherever you like, I will come to... Okay. And then she's like, she sent me this email. Well, what date you're flying back to Israel? Let's sit together on the plane. And, <laughs> you know, I think it was for me as a student... I never received this kind of email from any of my teachers, right. you know, like, right. okay, let's do, when are you flying? I don't know actually nothing about their personal life. Well, except gossip or things, but right. yeah, I don't know, like, well, now I do because I'm kind of, it, it took me a lot of years. Well, now I do, but in that stage where I wore, like, it was, it was the end of the second degree, the beginning of the, the, the PhD, I, I didn't, nobody knew me. I don't know. It was very, and her reaction was beautiful. Did you end up catching the flight with her? No. <laughs> it was a different time. It was a different time, yeah. and I, I didn't saw her in this visit. Yeah. Because she was rushing to, like, to fly to Israel back, yeah. and we didn't catch one another. But when she came to Israel, not so much time after, I kind of followed her in every lecture she gave in nice. the north and nice. every place, and she was so 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 generous and nice and i thought it from um from hasidic point of view from from also academic point of view but also as from a feminist point of view it gave me a lot it yeah. gave me a lot like yeah. the ability to be such a great scholar and also be uh, in touch with the students and yes. the same i can say about Rachel Elior, so yes. uh, which i met only a few, few weeks ago and we shared chocolate and you know And she'll, still, she was a teacher and right. I was a student. Right, right. Um, actually, I met her earlier before, after two weeks when I started in Sholem. Yeah. So I met her, I felt suddenly, oh, this is interesting. When I start, okay, I just now realized the connections. But when, when I gave, when a person, I say, give birth <laughs> to a woman, sometimes like, In the, in the room, when she gives birth, she's like, she needs her mom. Mm. Well, she not, not the real mom actually there. Not, it not, doesn't always work. But Maternal suddenly figure. you're like, you're a child. You're, you're reborn as a mother, but mm. you also become the daughter again. Mm. And you understand what it means to be like, mm. you suddenly, it's a very strange moment. Mm. Very, very strange moment and beautiful moment. And when I started to teach in Shalem, I... didn't seek for any guidance from my teachers. But after a three, three, few weeks, I suddenly started calling Yontan Meir, Rachel Yor, which I haven't spoke for like a few years. And then I called her and wanted to ask to, to meet with her because I needed this kind of connection between I couldn't imagine myself as a teacher without staying a, a student of somebody. Yes. So this is something that is very... very deep I think in the right. idea of being a teacher is also the ability to see yourself as a student also right, right. this is this is really fascinating and you've also connected up now those themes 
that we connected before earlier between the parent and the teacher, right? Mm. The Talmudic discussion there. Right. And, and those, those are related here. I want to try and do, do something. I want to try and stay in the present moment um, with the characters that we're speaking of um, and, and comment on that and also try bridge back to the Hasidic mm. movement and, and see what might be happening with these themes mm-hmm. of femininity and, and, and maternality, teaching, mm-hmm. students, messianism. We'll, we'll go there mm-hmm. in a second. I, and I can already, I already know that you know what I'm, what I'm hinting at there. Mm-hmm. In, in the present moment, I mean, if we think, it's, it's interesting for me, my experience here now meeting all of these wonderful scholars, including yourself, um, where I think if this, if this podcast would have been done 50 years ago, I mean, there wouldn't have been a podcast, but uh, 20 years ago, there probably wouldn't have been many women sitting in the seat you are today. And I've had the chance, mm-hmm. uh, the, the incredible, beautiful opportunity to meet incredible scholars yeah. like, like Melilla, um, Halner Eshed, like Bitty Roy, like mm-hmm. Ruth Kara Kanikov, like um, who else has sat with us? Yourself. Mm-hmm. And and it's, it's for me, it's been a wonderful experience. And I do hope to to get in touch with more of the scholars of Jewish mysticism here. Um, people like Chaviva um, Ptaya mm-hmm. and others who I hope to be able to sit down with as well. And what I'm what I'm noticing amongst those scholars, and I think it's not only amongst the the women but it's also a tendency which is now spreading to the men to mm-hmm. to, to some extent um where there's a, a, a rich openness and engagement with the ideas that they're talking about it's not mm. just some abstract distant what we would see as masculine as sort of far mm. away let's look at this like it's some sort of dead animal that we're dissecting but these are these ideas that we're that we're living with and we're 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 not dissecting them. We're 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 vivifying them, and they're mm-hmm. vivifying us. We're giving them life, and they're giving really? us you life. Really, you see this? I see in, this in the feminine. Uh, I tell you, I saw this. I've I've been. If I can, if I can single out one scholar, yeah, but, yeah. But let's, she let's own, go. So yeah. spill, spill some tea. This is how you say. It. Yeah, but but only but really as a representation of, yeah, of the rest of the women here and and the men as well. Um, is is professor? She she would hate if I called her professor, but is Melilla Helner uh, Helner Um who, who was a brilliant scholar uh-huh. of Zohar, of the Idrat, of, of a tremendous, tremendous scholar. But the, the, I feel like I'm in the presence of a mystic when I'm around her. Wow. And wow. I feel with her that, that if I'm having a hard day and, and things are rough and I'm, being, and I'm worried about like petty things and ego things, I see Melilla and it kind of just <laughs> falls away. I hear her voice and, and it falls away. And, and she has this way of like, of just like, grabbing people physically, taking hold of people and connecting them with one another. She's like, Zevi, meet this person. <laughs> this person, you got to meet each other. And she just and brings like, people together. She just like <laughs> is connecting worlds in her. Uh, and she re- she invited me over to her house. There was a session that she she studied Zohar with a group ready for 20 years yeah. with Professor Yehuda Libus. Wow, this is um, a magical group. It was just, it was it was magical. It was absolutely yeah. magical. And and I think, I think it's interesting that you were distinguishing between authority and sort of openness to doubt. And I think with Melilla, for example, and with the other scholars here, with Bitti, with Ruth, I feel a tremendous amount of authority. Mm-hmm. I feel like they're not lacking authority. And I don't feel like there's a lack of, of knowledge any, any less mm-hmm. than the male scholars. But I feel like there's a certain, this is like a cheapened word these days, but there's like an embodiment of it mm-hmm. where, it's, where it's in them and it's speaking through them. It's not just their like cerebral cortex firing off mm. words it's actually it's like their entire being and you don't think the men's call you're interviewed here are the same some I think, of, I, I, I think some of them i think i think i think that like what you're saying that the feminist tone is not only affecting women it's affecting men as well mm-hmm. um and i think particularly here at hartman there may be a certain uh, demographic that's that's being attracted here because of mm. that 
Um, and I think with certain, here I won't say names, but I think with certain of the, of the men scholars, uh, there is that presence mm-hmm. um, of teaching through their being, um, of, of it being an existential encounter. Menachem Loberbaum, Professor Loberbaum, yeah. again, he wouldn't let me call him professor, um, where it was like a deep encounter. Um, yes. But still, but still, Menachem I felt like it was deep. still... It was still first abstraction and then encounter. I think it's a matter of tone. <laughs> I must disagree. I have to disagree here because, uh, you know, nothing from nothing for, from what we've talked here is similar to what I do in class. I'm kind of happy this podcast is in English and they'll be lazy and won't hear <laughs> it because in class we talk, you know, about dates, about history, about yeah. the politics, yes. about texts, about... Uh, and of course, I'd never share. They don't know anything about me. So I'm kind of, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not sure I fit into this. We should be like careful uh, doing this, you know, image of, you know, um, this, you know, alternative feminine teaching and its uh, characters and these are her char- right, the, right. the characters being a bit too stereotypical a bit too essentialist and this is mahud like you know right. it's like every woman will have something of this and the right. men we suspect like we we pre-think right. we, yes if it's a man I, I suspect that he won't be this way and a woman she will be this way i'm kind of more gender you know <laughs> maybe the audience also either. i'm not sure i share the same the same understandings as you and all those people that you mentioned are, are teachers of mine. Yeah, and of course, Melila and the, and Bitty and the, all those those people. This is a question. This is a big. It's question. fascinating. <laughs> this is this is the second time you brought up a, a, a paradigm of woman teaching, and I and I went along with it, and then you said, "Oh, oh, I don't know." I'm sorry, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just following along here. <laughs> In your no, words, it sounds, you know, maybe it's because of the language barrier. I don't know. It doesn't sound no, but I appreciate between the back and forth, we can find, <laughs> we can, we cannot be, we cannot make any, any strong like gender what would you do stereotypes. If you have, like, yeah. If you had this, I don't know, perhaps big teacher, very, a lot of scholars. And she said, I don't know. I don't want to talk about anything existential. Is Listen, still I, she worthy? Like he, her voice? Yes. Well, I, so I don't, I don't, I don't <laughs> like, tell anyone how to show up and I don't, ex- I don't, Maybe maybe I expect them to show up in a certain way. That's my own prejudices, which I have to keep in check. But I want people to show up as they are, mm-hmm. and I want I want to I want to be able to allow people to show up mm-hmm. as they are, and to not impose mm-hmm. my own um, yeah. expectations upon them. Well, it is in- interesting. Would you ask a man scholar, you know, what his background? When did he first started to? to learn the text I do I do I asked the men that question as well interesting one uh, one question which I'm which I found myself asking the women scholars here and I and I, I thought about it for a second whether it's an appropriate question or not I asked them what the what it's been like as a woman no, teaching is, of course because I didn't ask the men what it's like as a man to be teaching <laughs> well men is default you know Right. Not really. Right. You know, this this is a de Beauvoir's We are, we idea. are just, you know, the abnormal thing that we the have to explain is, ourselves is the all the time. Right, right. We have to explain. Is that is that an improper question to ask a woman what it's like to be teaching in a male-dominated space such as Jewish no, studies? No, it's a very, very good okay, question. We we deal with this question all the time. Well, the woman doesn't have to answer if right. she doesn't right. want, but but it's a very big question, of right. course. Of course, this is why if you go back to my stories, is looking for like missing Ada so much and looking for the presence of Rachel Elior during the, the f- only this month is what's happening to me 
I think it's because the absence of women scholar and especially in the field of, of Hasidism, it's very, yeah, it's very sad, but I think it's, it's changing because it has, it's had, it has to change. It won't, won't stay there like for long. Right. You have in a Bailam, um, Lior Zach Shmueli. Mm -hmm. I want you to meet her. She's not part of the Machon, but I'll give you the contact. Yeah, yeah, she's very interesting. That. Yeah, yeah, she's really important also. I I do want to I do want to bridge this over to the historical side. I felt like it was a bit of a masculine thing to do to move away from the present moment to the his, to the historical moment. No, no, I think it's okay. <laughs> it's also feminine. <laughs> no, no, right. It's okay. It's right. really okay. <laughs> Break down the binaries. Um, what do you, do you see? Um, either in practice or in theory, mm -hmm. this question of teaching uh, as a male um, activity mm. versus a feminine activity um, in the Hasidic movement, particularly in the Rebbe, Hasid, the, the leader, mm. uh, follower dynamic, mm. um, and and if if it has any relationship to messianism. Um, I mean, of this course... I don't yeah. know if we can also add the messianism here. I'm not sure it's connected. I'm. I'm gonna. I think that. I think it is connected. It is. But let's. Why? Because, because part of at least in Chabad thought, mm -hmm. um, part of the messianic vision is oh. the ascent of the feminine, mm -hmm. is the ascent yeah. of Malchut to oh, Keter. The I teacher, see. the student becomes teacher. Mm, I see. Yeah. 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 It is. I see in this way. Mm -hmm. but, but maybe let's hold that for a second, and, and we'll just talk. Yeah, about in Chabad, you have this like thing. That's interesting. Well, you think about you know it's Ipi Kaufman, also important scholar who also passed away and she she was teaching Bailan and she wrote a lot about uh, the Shechina and a lot of themes connected like to traditionally to women as mikveh and then the womb and all kinds of things in the Hasidic in Hasidic uh, stories and in the Hasidic um, uh, Torahs and Rashot and she talked about how sometimes so you're saying that the archetype of womb yeah. and a ritual bath were associated yeah. with the feminine yes okay. yes yeah Mikveh, it's a ritual bath. This I, is how I you think will that's say. The <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you have the tr translations like so good and like yeah. Like it's Sometimes the translations celestial. You say ah, right. okay, they capture something, right. but then you say like ritual bath, really. Yeah. Sometimes the translations are less helpful than the original. Yeah. It's like when we we translate tefillin into phylacteries. <laughs> I think both <laughs> words are equally meaningless. <laughs> <laughs> to a non to a non Hebrew audience, go on. So you're saying? So I'm I, I'm thinking about the things um, uh, Tzipi Kaufman yeah. uh, was teaching about how rabbis sometimes took a language of Hasidic of things connected to women to describe their all their own spiritual experiences. Right. So um, you have this this kind of experience connected to 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 women inside. You have themes connected to women inside Hasidic texts. Sure, you have th those things. But another interesting point of view is to understand that the, the tzaddik became also a person, especially in Poland and in in Poland and in the third, fourth, and, and you know. 20th century also generation you have uh, a lot of uh, women coming to the tzaddik and asking about the things they need and sometimes they need to have uh, have a baby and they struggle they don't have they have problems with uh, fertility right. and 
of course, we know nowadays from scientific point of view, yes, it's not they don't have these fertility problems. It could be, you know, nobody or, you know, half their partner. Really? But then in in um in the history it was considered like their problem. Right. So they came to the tzaddik and he gave him a blessing. Right. And it was, I think, a very interesting moment in which the, the tzaddik was connecting to this uh, feminine, historical feminine, you know, need mm. in their com in his community, mm. and this connection between the tzaddik and the woman and the woman inside the community is, is important because when we see when we read um, Maskilic you know, um, how do you say? Jewish Enlightenment. Jewish Enlightenment texts. We can see as in a beautiful song called Be'akise, like the toilet, actually, like if I translate it. You can see, um, let's say, of the masculine Dov Bear Levinson. He wrote this poem about a rabbi sitting in the Sudash Lishit in the third meal in Shabbat, which we earlier mentioned as the most holy moment yeah. and he kind of um he describes a great big amount of women woman coming to the tzaddik and saying please help us we need a child and then he helps them in a kind of he implicates he helps them physically you know in kind of disappropriate i don't know manner so inappropriate, inappropriate manner so you see the criticize of the inner in a Ju Jewish world to this connection between the tzaddik and the feminine sign in the community. Fascinating. And we can look uh, on this from a, um, this masculine, maybe criticizing point of view, but then what, what I read here is actual connection between this part in the society which is left in, in the traditional world, is left aside, we see uh, here is some kind of connection between mm. the tzaddik mm. and women. Mm. So it's not feminist at all. It's not a feminine leadership. It's right. not Sarah Schneider, who right. was inner leader, like woman leader in the in the, um, the Jewish traditional world. But you do he you do see here understanding that women are part of the the community and are part of the spiritual work of the tzaddik. Right. Right. So they're not, he counts them. They're not. They're not neglected. Yeah. From the from the responsibilities or role um, that the that the tzaddik or the rabbi yes. faces. There. Still, it's not feminist at all. Right. Right. At all. Right. But but it's something. It's right. something interesting right. to look at. And the masculine who who are classic critics. Yeah. Of their religious uh, compatriots are are poking fun and in, and insinuating that there's sexual impropriety between the rabbi and the female mm -hmm. leadership. There are. There are some very rare exceptions of um, women who are uh, leaders, who are mm -hmm. rabbis in the Hasidic community, um, but but those are those are really, really very much exceptions that prove mm -hmm. the rule. They're they're one in a thousand. Um, yeah, you have the story of the Betulami Ludmir, yes, you know, this yeah. who moved to Jerusalem and she didn't want to get married again, and she went to to live here and according to what we know she had a group of followers um the the thing with historiography that we know only about what was written you know and we don't know about we will we kind of lost all the oral tradition the oral history also so 
meaning we don't know about women that had, you know, a court or something Hasidic of this kind, but I don't know, maybe there, there was. More. This is only what we know. And when we see today, we also see, you know, the Bells, the, I, I forgot her name, the wife of the Bells, the rabbi, the current Bells, the rabbi, she actually, she gives blessing right. to people right. until nowadays. And she's the one who gives the blessing. Interesting. She doesn't take the people and say, okay, go to my husband, go right. to my, my right. brother. She says she gives the blessing right. and she gives the blessing as I know it to women and men. Interesting. So you have, and also like this short vid videos, uh, we see that she's actually having this itvadut. Uh, she encouraged the Hasidim to sing. She really? With like, you know, this Hasidic, you know, hand thing. And she's like in the middle and she's standing in the um, head of the table. She's feared in tish, as we would say. She's yeah, yeah. She's running the, the she's Hasidic She's running gathering. the tish. She's running it. She's, and uh, she has this also very interesting hat she wears. I think she's a very interesting figure. Interesting. I haven't, I haven't heard of this at yeah, all. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating. Mm -hmm. I, I'm curious. So, so we do see uh, responsibility interaction between the rabbi and, and the female Hasid. Yeah. Um, and they're certainly part of the community. Um, particularly, as we're saying, when it comes to questions of fertility, um, although it's not being done at all in, as you're, uh, you're saying, in a, in a way that's um, feministic in the way that we would conceptualize that today. Is there, is there a way in which the, because the teacher-student relationship, according to the, just about all of Jewish mysticism, the Kabbalists mm -hmm. in particular, is a relationship between the giver and the recipient, mm -hmm. and every giver and recipient is characterized as masculine and feminine. Right, the same way. Not always. You have also the Moshe Yoshua, you know, Elisha, and you you have all kinds of models. It's not always max masculine and f feminine. Okay, what are you seeing in those models? Well, I see in these models just the idea of something somebody who's not receiving, but also like um, the receiver is never just a receiver. If right. you if you think about the Ari, right, the Isaac, Rabbi Isaac Luria, the 16th century. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> it's cool. You just like <laughs> it's funny. Rabbi Isaac. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. It's important. So in a, uh, we see that Harari didn't write his. He was the teacher. No questions. Sure. The students was uh, called themselves Gurei Harari. Yes. The the puppies. How to say the, the cubs. The lion cubs. cubs oh, yes. This is great. The cubs. The cubs of I the like line. puppies better though. The, yeah. No, the cubs. <laughs> the cubs of the lion. So they saw themselves as the cubs. So no doubt he was the teacher sure. the, the great master but still he didn't write he the the, the the text was re, were written by a student Rabbi Chaim Vital so we see that and uh, the text also you know he was buried with the text and his son Rabbi Shmuel I think he went to to Egypt and opened there was this a whole story I don't remember now the details but the idea is what I'm going I want to say is that the teacher needs the student and we have to remember this right. because throughout right. our talk we talk about the need for of the student but the fact is is the teacher needs his student right. nonetheless yes and yes. he needs them not in just you know, I don't know some psychological spiritual no, like physically, yes. you have teachers that didn't write any anything, so we would never know about them. And yes, yes, there is there is that very rich theme. That um, what's the what's the what's the saying that more than the, the calves, calves need to need to um, suckle from the mother, the yeah. mother needs to give milk to give the milk. Right. Yeah, yeah. So and this is more like a. Um, 
psychological maybe i don't know it's like physical almost physical it's it's interesting saying but i'm talking about something else i think that the, the students i think they spread something that the teacher the teacher is limited right the teacher in the end is one person with i don't know maximum 120 years like lifetime circle but the teachers first of all they're different and they're different in the ways they they are different from each other i think that i think i saw this in sidkat sadiq book i saw that in 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 the one hasidic book a beautiful explanation from sadika kind of lublin yeah i think he really he he was around nehemia poland from the states you know him from boston nehemia poland i think i was in a lesson where he talked about this piece in sitkat sadik and he was teaching about the way that sadik after his death um it's a good thing for him to have his students kind of manifesting their own way mm. and their own mm. understanding mm. Because, because they reveal something that was kind of hidden in in the in the teacher's thought so it of course it goes back to parent and parents children relationship but hmm. the students reveal something that was kind of not sharp enough or hidden in the teacher's thought and this is also a question about chabad right i'm going going back to chabad right like living only students what right. does it mean right. yes like this is the gap this is a lot the last chabad rabbi or the last rabbi i don't know <laughs> so this is something that we that we touched on before and, and we didn't get to unpack it and i, I wanted mm-hmm. to ask you why is it if it's so essential the, the, the relationship between the teacher and student between the rabbi and chassid is clearly um so so essential mm-hmm. on on many levels physically spiritually existentially psychologically um materially even what is why why is it that and 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 the student as you're saying is never just a student the student becomes the teacher to the next generation mm-hmm. right we spoke about you mentioned uh Moses and Joshua mm-hmm. right where Moses is is described as the sun and Joshua is the moon who receives mm-hmm. and reflects exactly. light but then Joshua passes on that light to the uh, to the elders and then mm-hmm. from them to the judges and then to the prophets and all the way down right yeah. so the, so student becomes teacher becomes to like they mm-hmm. they're part they're they're integral in that in that relationship why is it that that in certain Hasidic movements mm-hmm. um we see an exception from the rule where there isn't a direct line of succession made where the teacher says this student or child of mm-hmm. mine or son-in-law of mine uh, again typically the masculine is now going to be the next teacher for the next generation why 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 do we because in most cases we do see that being done emphatically why in the case we and we've been discussing here khabar impressive um but you're welcome to to queue yeah. in anyone else as well why why are they not passing on the mantle It seems like such a core part of well, most of, of their do. responsibility. Well, most of them do. Most of them mo- do. Most of them do. Of course. Right? I don't know, you think of visionaries, you think about, I don't know. Right, these are, these are dynastic movements that are passing on the leadership, yeah. passing on the authority. You know, you, they not always pass it to to the son. Maybe they pass it to the, to the son-in-law. Right, yeah, right. Yeah, they had this also, you know, we had all kinds of historic, you know, sons were receiving the, the role and they didn't do it. quite right. good so right. you know you have you have this on also the last rabbi of chabad is not the son right son in law he's a son in law but in those in those instances that it's not being passed down mm-hmm. do you have a, do you have a, an inclination of why it's not being passed down i 
I'm not sure. I think it's, it is connected to Marcionism. I think it's the idea of being, you know, the last generation, right? When I, I was teaching today the Mamar of Bati Ligani of Tashiar, was the first Mamar that the last Rebbe of Chabad, the Lavich Rebbe, said. He spoke. First Hasidic discourse. The first Hasidic discourse that he, sp- uh, that he gave yeah, in, in the 1950, right? So he kind of. He kind of, I think you told me this or somebody else from Chabad told me that like you can see in a way that he plans to be the last. The first day he delivers his thing, his Torah, you can, you can see that he has, his, he has no plans of giving the role to somebody else. Even though biographically afterwards he didn't have any children, right? right. It's very interesting. Why? Why? Why do you think that's? Why do you think that's being done? This is how I understood, you know, the seventh, right? The last. He, yes. he always saying he's like, repeats the fact that we are, the seventh. We are people that heard him, the seventh generation. I don't know if people will agree with me, but I would say it's surely, surely connected to what, well, the messianic figure, the the character that I spoke about. It's connected to the Holocaust. I, s- I don't know if, if you agree with my interpretation, but talking about the last generation, two years about this big trauma of the Holocaust, so I think it's connected. Like the idea of something else has, we have to like mm. break history. Mm. Well, history already broken, right. obviously, right. and we must fix it or we must, <coughs> I don't know, it's like something after, something must be, and he was—he wasn't the only one, the only intellectual who talked about the Holocaust in this way. When we read um, uh, Adorno, you know, this intellectual who talked about culture and yeah, art, he Theodore said, Adorno. "Theodore Adorno." He wrote about how can you write anything. He wrote, <laughs> "How can you write anything right. about the Holocaust?" Right. This is a very important cultural uh, Western question yes. of what is the world what is what is the ideals what is the thing we believed in what is aesthetics what is everything what is time what is history and i i'm not sure the Lubavitcher ever will agree with me but i do think that talking about the seventh generation as the last generation two years after the holocaust when he has family is i think older brother he lost him in um the Nazis when they shot him in Yekaterinoslav, Dnepropetrovsk, I think. So I think it's very, it's, it's, an, it's a f- maybe an existential low reason, but I think it's connected. That's very interesting. To trauma. That's, that's very interesting. I, I don't know if I've heard that made explicit before, that, that it was precisely the fact that a time had already been ruptured w- by the tragedy of the Holocaust, that, that, they were, that we were now ready for, for the end of time, um, for, for the messianic yeah. in some sense. That things couldn't, Things couldn't be, things couldn't go on business as usual anymore. Well, you see this also when the Lubavitcher Rebbe talks about the Holocaust, right? A lot of people are puzzled with where was God in the Holocaust right. and maybe there is no God because the Holocaust exists and a lot of people lost their faith and, um, but his answer is different. His answer is something like, it's not answer. He says, I'm not supposed to say the answer. God, please, <laughs> it kaved <Right. laughs> and say the answer. And when he asks God and he says, it's not a question I'm supposed to be asked as a human being, but God should 
please come and explain us. So I think it also implicates the idea of the, the, the Shoah is con the Holocaust connected to the end of times. Right. Right, to the to a final re yeah. revolution. Well, redemption. now, yeah, the right. upper world, the right. upper somebody, something else will tell us the right. answers to it. Right. So. I just want to I just want to tease out and make explicit the point you said just before this, which is that the idea of not creating succession, mm -hmm. um, both in Brest and Chavad, is connected to messianism. Can you just can you just tease out that point and elaborate for a second? I'm not sure exactly how how can I, I really I'm not sure how to like express this connection. How would you say it? I have I, I do have <laughs> my own kind of theory <laughs> I, I, here. I, I, <laughs> you sense that I because <laughs> I don't I don't necessarily connect those things together. Right, right. I'll tell you I'll tell you why I'm connecting them and and perhaps just please with do. This is your podcast. <laughs> no, exactly. you can. No, I'm here to interview. You can, no, what is <laughs> I'm here to talk with the scholars. Um, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what, and I'm curious to hear what you think about this and, and, and what parallel or dissonance you may see in Breslov in this regard mm -hmm. and also where it may intersect with the feminine specifically. Mm -hmm. I think that this, the whole project to, to bring about a messianic redemption and revolution um, is one which is fraught with an internal paradox, mm -hmm. right? Because it's something which, particularly in the thought of Chabad, but also you can see in cross Hasidic thought and, and going back into Kabbalah and Midrashim, that it's something that has to be done through the power of the human, through the power mm -hmm. of, of the, the lower, the Tachton, as it's, as mm -hmm. it's put, uh, made it very explicit in, in mm -hmm. Chabad doctrine, that it's a dira betachtonim. It's specifically, mm -hmm. God, God doesn't want to dwell in the higher worlds. Mm -hmm. in he doesn't need it. doesn't need it, need right. It as right. Well, yeah. it's, it's here in the physical, mm -hmm. um, which is a very radical doctrine. Yeah. Um, and, and intersects very interestingly with, with Gnosticism and Neoplatonism. That's a whole mm -hmm. like, other discussion, which is interesting. But, but that's, th that's the, the idea that emerges in Jewish mysticism. Now, there are characters that, that live in this lower realm. You and I, mm -hmm. we're part of the lower realm. We're part of a, a realm of darkness, of doubt, of confusion, of struggle, mm -hmm. of, of, of Bureaucracy, pain. please. Bureaucracy, right? The, particularly living here in Israel. <laughs> the, uh, the Kafkaesque. Um, so so we, we're in the darkness, mm -hmm. right? We're in the, we're yeah. in, we're in the, the helem, as the Kabbalists would call it, the, the mm -hmm. absence of God. Um, and therefore, it's, it's upon us to create mm. that redemption here in the darkness. Mm -hmm. Now, a character can transition in mystical and Jewish thought to, to leave the realm of darkness, to enter the light, right? Mm -hmm. So um, Elijah, he ascends, Enoch mm. ascends to God. Uh, Moses is, is a demigod. He's half God, half man, according mm -hmm. to the Kabbalists. He's Ish Helokim. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I feel like those characters are no longer capable of, of playing... Um, an actual role in the redemption because they're no longer in they're mm. no longer in the doubt and the darkness that me and you ordinary humans are in they're they've seen too much they not know too much not because like they're far away because they, let's say Joseph he had some struggles right you can say he's like you know on this only spiritual he, he, he's the head of the bureaucracy you know he's the, he invented the bureaucracy of, of giving you know food right, to, to right. a whole well, nation I think I think here we have to distinguish between um, rabbinic biblical. Reading, <laughs> biblical readings of Joseph, rabbinic reading of Joseph, Kabbalistic readings, and Hasidic readings of Joseph. Okay, right, because for for yes, in the biblical story, he's very Mishad. human, and 
and and he's he's there's temptations and there's challenges. But in in the in the Kabbalist reading, he's he's an archetype. He right. is the sphere so of his soul. He yeah. is the tzaddik. He's mm -hmm. he's beyond all of these stories are just like sort mm -hmm. of these cosmic narratives. And he doesn't, of course, he doesn't actually struggle mm -hmm. like me and you humans. Mm -hmm. So I think it depends on on who. Yeah, on yeah sure. Even the, the David. Yeah, yeah. They turn out like yes, the, the right. Right, the biblical the, David is different from the midrashic. Right, the David. classic uh, Talmudic expression that whoever mm -hmm. says that David sinned is making mistakes. So, mm -hmm. I, I think, I think, w like we're talking here from the perspective of the, of the mystics, mm -hmm. um, and 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 therefore it's not like I'm, I'm still waiting to find this in 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 Kabbalistic sources, mm -hmm. but like the per, from way I the way I see it, the reason why Moses doesn't go into Egypt is because. The Kabbalists say that if he does, that that's into that's Israel. the end of time. Into in, sorry, Israel. into yeah, into Israel. Yeah, from Egypt. Yeah, because if he does, that's the end of times. Mm. That's like the power of the tzaddik. Too much the, light. Right, too much happen. light. It just shatters everything. And because it because it kind of ends the game too too soon, mm -hmm. his own generation doesn't enter the redemption. They they get mm. stuck in limbo. They get stuck in the desert. Right, the door from tragical. It's more tragical than, than I my description of history. Yes, it's no, very, like it's, it it's very tragic. Well, right? it is. And this Moses, is. Moses, as his primary role is to be a shepherd and a leader, mm -hmm. he doesn't go ahead into like to to bring the end game mm -hmm. on. He stays with these people and he stays in an unknown yeah. grave in the desert to be with them. And and Joshua goes in mm -hmm. and Joshua walks in with the people and the people have to, this is this is the point that I'm trying to get to, the people have to walk in on their own two feet. Mm -hmm. They can't be carried in by their Moses, mm -hmm. by Moses I who's see. described as a nurse and as their, as the mother mm -hmm. and as their teacher and as their, as the face of God when he mm -hmm. descends from Sinai. So you're saying there are no teachers in the Messianic Time. I think they can't be teachers. Well, can't they, be teachers. Yes. At least, at least in the, So in what the, are you doing this podcast? <laughs> we're, we're in conversation. We're not teaching. Uh -huh. We're thinking together. So there's only chavrotot in this in this um, messianic in your messianic world. Um, I'm, as, I th I'm I just think, asking. Yeah, I think chavrotot <laughs> are the, the form of, of peer study. I think I think is one form which is particularly. There will be no rabbis. What is by the way? What's the model? What's the midrashic model of the end of times? Of the sages that they're all standing in the circle, <laughs> right? <laughs> and they're facing each other in the circle. <laughs> there's, they're not. One standing, one sitting. Although the Zohar picture is uh, picture is different. What right? do you see there in the Zohar? In the Zohar, you can see when we learned it. I think last week we hear it, Melilla, right? The thing that every there is a Mador, there is a section for every group, and Moshe is keep he keeps on teaching. He keeps right, on, right. Like he teaches in the upper worlds, right? right? And a person that passed away, he went. If it's a tzaddik, he went to the yeshiva shel mala. The right. whole concept of yeshiva. Right. Shulmala, right? There right. is something there, but and also you have the descriptions of the Maagal, right? Around and the tzaddikim are all, you know, atida kadosh bochorasot macholat tzaddikim, just like round, you know, thing. This is a question. I don't know why. Oh, uh, interesting. So you're you're juxtaposing those two models. You know, there's two models. Yeah, it's not one. It's not right. monolithic. But right. do you do we want to to live in in the times there are, will be no teachers? I mean, listen, we we're already experiencing what's known as the death of the authority. Right? I'm not sure I'm prepared. I think I'm a soul. <laughs> I'm. I told you. You describe it. I think. Oh my God! It's not only anarchy. It's like. There is no line. I don't know. It's, there's well, no there's no standard. Line. There's no, no standard. Line. There is no standard. Everything is TikTok. Everybody Everything is TikTok. Every, everyone, everyone becomes a. Everyone has opinion, a channel. Right. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting. I mean, it, it's a, it's like a radical egalitarianism in a very mm -hmm. literal sense of the term that yeah. everyone is equal in that space, and we're seeing that. 
I mean, I don't have what what degree do I have to teach or to to be sharing? I have no. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have nobody asked. No, no, no one asked me. No one appointed me. No one. You so, don't have your CV down below. That's right. Uh, under the podcast. So, so, so it's already happening, whether we like it or not. Mm-hmm. Today, experts are we're less likely to take an opinion from an expert than we are to take it from from a face the that audience. we've come to right. Right. Oh, it's all about like you know recommendations right it's it's the it's the amami it's it's being you know part of the people it's uh can we stop the train <laughs> suddenly we've gone but, too far but no but it's interesting because you, jump. you were jump. saying before that you don't want to be the the masculine form of teacher who knows it all and who is the I direct say it's only masculine you know i think <laughs> okay i'm putting words you in your know, yeah i think there is a method you know you can't i don't know go to the ballet yeah you, you have a method you have something you have stand you we still have to 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 keep the greed of the world as i see it but i i don't i don't think we should have you know close the universities and only go to tiktok and to youtube because now everybody just knows and everybody feels you know it's interesting because and what do you think about books you know then you I know love books no but then <laughs> then if you don't need a teacher maybe you don't need a book maybe you just have to think about you you woke up this morning and you had this beautiful idea and just a beautiful sense of something and just share it with everybody it's you know <laughs> i'm sorry no no i no <laughs> firstly i know i fully appreciate the disagreement it's this is part of the chavruta model I part I of the, i'm uh, sorry i'm russian i can't uh, pretend I just no you know, you're i think I, th- i think by disagreeing with me you're actually you're allowing me to be a peer with you in this mm. conversation right you're mm. not telling me zavi shut up i'm going to tell you this is how it is <laughs> this is the end of the days let me describe right. it no you're you're inviting me into conversation <laughs> and i appreciate yeah. it. what it's funny because when you're saying words and they're conjuring like images like biblical and kabbalistic in my mind you said how there's no more any line right mm. um this, there's no more any standard in this picture in the picture you're in, painting in the picture that I'm describing right yeah. and and the kabbalists use that metaphor that we're moving from the from the line from the kav from the masculine to, to the igul to the circle to the to the machol to the to the circular to the but to the but i don't think you lose the line you don't lose the line i don't think well i mean not yet not when you have history time politics but we're moving beyond time No, everything is on time. The This other podcast is also on time. Everything is on time. The up, one second. Firstly, people can go backwards and forwards. There's no time. <laughs> in in no, Mukhtar really. and Mukhtar, right? And, and for those that know, this podcast didn't happen all in one time. This happened. Uh-huh. <laughs> We've stitched time together here. We're playing with time. Part of the mediums here are transcending time. But the other thing is when you said, what, so there's no teacher, there's no, there's no books anymore. There's, there's a biblical prophecy, a messianic prophecy in Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 31 mm-hmm. that no person shall teach their brother uh they shall know the lord because they will all know me that that yes part of the part of the prophecy is that we we no longer need teachers because the knowledge of god fills the earth like the water covers the sea can gomalaret's data shem kamaim lem yachasem which is the end of my of maimonides one of his great books he puts out this this entire book and and he ends by saying basically we won't need these books anymore because you'll But know but who told you that this is the time I see it happening already. I just see it happening. I see really? I see the decline of authority. Mm-hmm. I see the 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 absolute lack of the gate the gate keepers well, the hippies of, of will information. Call, yeah, the hippies will call it the I see women age of teaching. Aquarius. Okay, I don't, okay, I, don't know, I, don't know. I don't know about ages. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I see, but I see I see I see women teaching. I see mm-hmm. the the ascent of Malchut, the ascent of the feminine to to a place of teacher. This is only half world, Zevik. Half world is still fighting for food in Africa. Your half world is going to fundamentally going back to fundamentalism right to regimes you know iran was quite open and right. now quite shut and now open and now 
And, you know, I don't want to go to politics, but you have all kinds of strange movements towards, uh, forward and back. Right. The idea that you, we see around us only progress is, I would ask, like, what is, what is your surrounding? What is your sources? Because you still have a lot of suffering in the world. Right. And this also the feminine revolution. Well, I see it around me and this radius of one kilometer in Jerusalem, <laughs> which is very, very feminist. But when I moved only one centimeter out of this radius, the world is quite, quite not in this situation. Right. A few weeks ago, I went outside here in Hartman Institute there and I saw a woman is, uh, is going very disturbed with her bag open. What caught me was well, her computer always almost fell from her bag mm -hmm. and she was trying to avoid a man mm. which may be a spouse, maybe, maybe mm. somebody he, she knew, maybe a friend, I don't know. She tries to, to avoid him and when she he was walking she tried to go slower mm. and then mm. he was like and something seems very strange. So right here, and and I didn't know what to do because nothing, everything was normal. Every, the sun was in the right. sky. Right. Everything was quiet. Right. But she was crying. Also, she mm. was really, really disturbed and crying. And he had this also kind of strange hand moving. He was doing like something very no, mm. and so. I'm kind of an angry person, so I see that I, I was sensing he's very angry and I sense that she was very disturbed yeah. and something was doesn't fit. So I came near them and yeah. I asked her if she needs help. And she's she said very quickly, no, no, no. But then a few minutes after she ran away to the this woods across the street. And to make a long story short, she, she was in a kind of danger. It mm. was, it con this continues, the story was, I didn't know what to do. But w the interesting thing is that I was so confused. It happened here right. in the middle of a very, you know, institute that puts feminist uh, worldview in as, you know, thought and the middle of, you know, this progress yes. and the world is great right. and everything is great. Right. But I think... Like we're avoiding a lot of things that's happening. I'm sorry, this is how no, no, I look no, at it. no. You're totally right to. Like to who decided that this is? You're the totally time. right to bring that to to attention. I, I I totally I totally appreciate that point. I also I don't think that we need to look very far. As you're saying, we don't need to look to Africa. Just we can see we can see across across our yeah. across the street, and I think we could even look closer. I think even in our own lives, right? Mm -hmm. There there are moments where we feel when we're feeling purposeful and dedicated and and motivated. Uh, aligned and there are times when we're feeling lost and depressed and sad and, and we need guidance and we need so guidance when he teaches yeah right uh, we f feel this all the time it could be like it's not and 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 it's hard to to hold on to a vision of mm -hmm. perfection um of of not, not even perfection it's only for perfection i think that understanding that we are also a student and we're in the need of somebody that to show us you know Somebody, sometimes people can't help themselves, not in, right. in only mental way, uh, any spiritual way also. Right. And I think that not all the pictures we have inside are like 
sometimes our path is to learn something from the external right. world. Right. And sometimes it's a big thing to be a student and to be able to say, now I know that my knowledge is limited and now I'm opening the YouTube channel and I'm learning. <laughs> no, not really. But now I'm doing opening something, a opening a book. Now I understand that this is me. I'm limited and I'm opened up to learn something new, which is not really new. We're just remembering right. something, but never right. mind. Right. I think it's very, very important. And I really hope that I go with Breslov. I think the Masech will learn books. I really hope so. Right, right. That the books will stay. Right. Okay, let's let's say let's sum up that the rabbis will be gone. Well not gone. They'll be like, you know, dancing and all <laughs> these things. A plan now. <laughs> but leave the books. Well, it's okay. Leave the books. I can I can live with it. You know this. what I feel like now? You know uh, <laughs> you know this anti Semitic trope of the elders of Zion, the protocols of the elders of Zion, <laughs> that they make the plan. I feel like we're here, we're sitting here, we're like we're making the plan. <laughs> Just sign Usually here, it's behind here. closed doors. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. So yes yes books. Yes, books. No teachers. <laughs> if you have to, if, if you must. No, I, I, I think, I think maybe this is um, in a, a good point to to bring the conversation to it to a head. Um, and I think part of part of what we're seeing here, I think the, this conversation is manifesting a lot of the discussion, right? Mm. Where we're manifesting disagreement, we're mm. manifesting attempts to try and figure out what the future should be, and we're doing this. Um, as educators, uh, as teachers, in, in very different ways, mm-hmm. um, where and as a students also, as students as well, it can yeah. I mean, I I feel like internal. a student of yours in this conversation, um, the the having an equal seating mm-hmm. for for men and women in mm-hmm. the conversation as well. I think that's part of the the messianic space. Um, so I don't I don't I agree that that the world is far from perfect, and I think part of the messianic recognition. And I would add this to your three criteria, that a fourth one, or even I'll, the first one, really. Yeah. Um, I'm submitting it for a <laughs> <laughs> proposal. Is is the sense that, that the world is broken, a sense that mm-hmm. we're not satisfied with the status quo, a yeah. sense that there, the, the Ari, Isaac Luria, begins with Shvira, that there's, that mm-hmm. there's a, a, a rupture. Mm-hmm. Um, you said that the Holocaust is a historical sense in, in a modern... But but in, in many ways, whether it's economic disparity, whether mm-hmm. it's gender inequality, whether it's the the suppression of of, of someone for the color of their skin, mm-hmm. these are all things that I think that they're not against the messianic impulse. Part of the messianic impulse is fueled by recognizing mm-hmm. those things. It's, mm. it's 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 realizing that we're that the way things are is not good mm. enough, right? I see. That we live in a broken reality. Yeah, yeah. And from that space, we can make attempts to try and heal the world just a little well some of you you the messianic people <laughs> <laughs> these kind of people you I can also you know just you know live i think that you're part simple of the life i think that you're part of the healing ah, whether really? you like thank it or you. not thank you thank so <laughs> <laughs> thank you we're gonna conscript you <laughs> <laughs> no problem you can call me whatever you like it's okay <laughs> Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this whole talk. Really, it's one of my favorite topics, and it's like it's there all the time when I read, when I do scholar things, when I meet people, when I meet students. It's like always there, but I didn't have like this chance to really discuss it. So it's been wonderful for me. Great opportunity. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very glad. I, I I feel the same that we spend a lot of time thinking about these things, even teaching them, but we don't get a chance to actually discuss them. Exactly. Um, and and that's very important. So, 
thank you very much for making time thank and for joining you. us thank here. You. I know that it was a lot longer than you initially expected it's okay, it to be. It's okay. It's like the Geula. It's also, you know, <laughs> just, it's, it's okay. never, it's never coming, never <laughs> no, ending. No, no, I, just, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you, Alexandra.